Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. It's a Monday. Good morning to you. Jay Query here along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton as well. Kevin is actually... Now, Kevin, I never know. You are you don't travel as much as Mark. Mark's the one that gets 300 days off a year. Um, <laughs> but you are... I'm trying to guess here. It's either Michigan, Florida, or Indiana. Those are the only three places that you go. So you're where? Yeah, that, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. So I'm, I'm pulling out the weather app to get the exact location right now. We are in Williamsburg, Michigan. Okay. Which is, I'd like to be in Williamsport, by the way. Have you ever been to Williamsport? I've driven past Williamsport. I've never been to Williamsport. I, I don't know if I'd love to like go to a string of games there, but I'd like to just see the um, see the stadium. So we are about 20 minutes south of Traverse City, Michigan. We are at a lake called Spider Lake. It is the Lubbers, the family I married into, family reunion, and care to guess a number on how many of us are in this compound right now. <laughs> Okay, hold on. Now, I'm looking... Because can um, you see my background right now? I can. It looks like you're in the cafeteria area of like a a church or something. <laughs> what does that blue thing in the background look like to you? Can you, can you see that? Uh, okay, that is a... So just so people know, um, even though we are doing a radio show together, Kevin is remote, and so we have up... I have up where I can see him obviously on a stream and then of course people can see that i was i don't know if they can see you on the youtube channel or not no, mark cannot. probably okay. has incriminating photos of um, me in, in studio that looks like a yoga ball behind you are you inside a gym so i i am i think this will be the only gym appearance for me this week probably on these monday and tuesday mornings but yeah sleeping arrangements here get a bit tight so uh, we are in scramble mode of where could we put kevin bowen and why did this kid marry it or i guess guy now marry into the family so they've put me in the weight room for the next couple mornings here okay now this this is the weight room of like a hotel or so we're at i i I think it's like, I feel like I'm at camp. It's like a retreat center. There's 41 of us at the family reunion. 41 of us. Now, are there other, let me ask you this, are there other families there? Because would there be anything more annoying, no offense, than being like the one outlier? You know what I mean? <laughs> we we are the only family uh, here. So you've got Grandma. She's the matriarch, uh, Jane Lover. She's ninety three, and then the breakdown from there. I think I have this right, family tree wise. And I know this is riveting Monday radio. Uh, you've got three kids of hers. You've got eight grandkids of hers, and I believe there are nineteen great grandchildren. So I think that makes up the contingent that you have here so each of us have like our own room there's probably like 15 rooms in the whole place massive little eating area yeah i feel like i'm back at camp tecumseh the shower weight line has to be hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's Thankfully, the bathroom situation room, yeah yeah each room does have their own bathroom mark um so yes that that, that box does check uh and the car ride wasn't too bad i mean six hours it, it could get dicey there i thought rosie bowen gave a i thought she gave a b plus effort uh and, and that that was impressive max did a nice job so max actually sleeps in the weight room i just ushered him out for his morning bottle and now i have uh i've I, i've taken over in he the weight room. sleeps in the weight room correct can you see his pack and play or 
What what else does he have in common with Tom Zapanzich? <laughs> you know, I actually used to live next to Jake Zupanzik, uh Tom's, I think, middle child there. Uh, so, yes, this is Max's home for the next week or so, and uh, here we are. And we got, and I know, and, and I saw the pictures, just absolutely horrifying from Johnson County. We got a ton of rain up here last night, and, and I was hoping, Jake, you'd give us a little update on what it was like in central Indiana yesterday. Yeah, you know what, Kevin, the... Um I hate to say we were fortunate because whenever you have tornadoes and, and tornadic activity and, and devastating storms that, that create property damage, um, you know, that's never a good thing, obviously. But but I want to give kudos to uh, all of the local weather people. And, and we poke fun at them a lot. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's fun to do so or it's easy to do so. But um, all of them at, at each and every television station, because I flipped around and they were all on, this was predicted by saturday afternoon it was like hey you know sunday it's going to be ugly from like three to five and that's almost exactly when it hit and i happened to watch um kevin gregory on channel six i fl- sean ash and chuck lofton were on channel 13 um and i know that all the stations w- were on but they did an excellent job of letting people know not only when this was going to happen but almost precisely on some of these storms where they were happening and kevin the good news is to my knowledge there are no reports of serious injuries or any sort of a fatality and you know what they say i mean you know property can be rebuilt people cannot so sure kudos to the local weather folks i mean a huge tip of the cap and a thank you to them for their diligence and their accuracy and letting people know about that it was a it was a kind of a crazy weekend just in terms of non-sports stuff because you had that and then on saturday night i mean it's probably a, a subject for a totally different talk show but you know, you had a what is now a triple homicide in Broderpool, right in front of Passwaters, the old place right there on Broderpool Avenue, the 800 block of Broderpool Avenue. Um, I, you know, it's it makes me so sad because that that's the area that when I was you know in my 20s, Kevin, that was where we all went. I mean, Broderpool was the place to be. It was we I had so much fun, so many great memories, and I think sometimes it's hard to realize or grasp that. You know, in 1995, when I was hanging out in Broderpool, 2000, when I was hanging out in Broderpool, and, you know, my parents probably were like, Broderpool? Well, that's where, you know, JC's General Store or the Vogue Movie Theater are. Like, what? don't you go to, you know, insert name, the TP or other places? Well, no, Mom, those places haven't been around in 20 years. And it is cyclical, unfortunately. I'm not saying that that means that you inevitably just write it off because there are still fabulous areas of Broderpool, but um, there are some troubling things that happen at night. I I still enjoy Broderpool on a regular basis, but you can definitely tell that around 8 o'clock or so, um, kind of the trouble rolls in. And very sad to see and and troubling to see with that. Uh, Also, Kevin, in the world of sports, troubling for the Reds is the dream over. Yeah, if you don't mind, Jake, I would like to sneak in just a couple thoughts um, from a broad ripple standpoint. And again, thinking about people in Johnson County, because yes, like you said, Jake, human life, it appears nothing was lost from a storm standpoint yesterday. But I know that that area got hit pretty pretty bad back in the spring, kind of maybe a little bit more Whiteland area back in the spring. So for those that did lose property damage, and I mean, just some of the pictures and the scenes, I'm certainly thinking about everybody down there in Johnson County. And then as someone that, boy, I, I 
year 23 to 25, Jake, I can't tell you how many nights at 2 a.m. for me ended in Broad Ripple. I mean, yeah. it, we we lived right there on Browse, Browse Avenue um, near Chattard High School, and Mark Welsh and Joe Ardiolo and Brian Shelbourne and I, I mean, we were, to say we were young young professionals would give us way too much credence in the professional world, but to be 23, 24, 25 years old, and just the, the, the joy of, boy, Friday at five hits, all your buddies are coming over, and then you're going to go out in Broad Ripple, and you're going to go to, you know, Brothers, or Average Joe's, or BRT, or Kilroy's, and Casba and Red Room and you know rock lobster and all that and, and it never never would have crossed my mind that that was a possibility of what you saw saturday night and unfortunately it's not the first sort of incident obviously the magnitude of it uh, rose to a different level on saturday um so just i i was just it, it was tragic really to to see that knowing how iconic of a spot that is for so many people in our city and in particular me you know i guess a little bit over a decade ago less than a decade ago now that i think about it um it was just really really sad to see that news because there's some great people there's some great businesses in that area and unfortunately i think um there is just a reputation which again saturday night kind of backs it up when you get into the wee hours of the night it is no longer a place that you know you you'd consider safe and and a place to go out with your friends and have uh, an absolute blast like i felt like it was for me for you know several years when i was just out of college kevin i think part of it and this is kind of one of those things and you get into slippery slopes, I realize. But one of the things that kind of nobody talks about is when the Super Bowl came here, and the Super Bowl was fabulous for the city of Indianapolis, I've always said, walking around that Saturday night before the Super Bowl, and I mean, it was the most surreal thing in the world to me, because I grew up here, and looking around and being like, I can't believe I'm in Indianapolis, and the epicenter of the entertainment world is here this weekend. It was awesome. But... Indianapolis, while it did a fabulous job of doing a facelift for the downtown area for the Super Bowl, to prepare for the Super Bowl, what a lot of people don't talk about is a lot of the riffraff, for lack of a better phrase, or less desirables, they pushed them out. And they basically said, okay, you're going to have to go somewhere else now. Like, we are taking back over the the, the restaurants and the, the downtown area and the streets. And, you know, they kind of they kind of rounded everybody up and sent them out Um and in terms of the mentally ill, in terms of the homeless, they disappeared. Everybody's like, "Wow, downtown really was cleaned up." Well, I mean, the they have that that sector had they had to go somewhere, and I hate to say that, but that's the reality of it. And I know that people, it's an uncomfortable situation, but you can't. You don't rid yourself of those things. They masked them for a while, and then people are like, where did, where did all these people come from? Well, they've never left. They just weren't. They were conveniently in areas that you weren't looking for for a long time. Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, clearly some of the entertainment options in Broderpool have changed. But I, I want to emphasize. I mean, the places that you just mentioned, Kevin. You know, right along the strip, Broadable Tavern, Old Pro's Table, Rock Lobster, Rob Sabatini's group of bars, um, the Union Jack that's now across the street from its original location, the shop in Broadable, the t-shirt shop. All of those places still are fabulous, viable, and wonderful options. Um, but again, I, admittedly, by 8 or 9 o'clock, I'm like, okay, you know, it's probably time to, to, to go home. Not because it's like, but you just, in the late, late, late hours, you just never know, right? And so, but there are plenty of businesses there that I hope people still, especially in the in the daytime in particular, it's a wonderful neighborhood. Totally wonderful. Did I ever tell you about the... I would say by the time that Colleen Bowen got me a Rock Lobster gift card for Christmas. 
How does? Let me ask you something. That's an awesome gift, actually, right? But like, unbelievable. The gift card is so cool looking. I, I'll, I'll try and find a picture and send it to you. Um, so yes, one uh, one Christmas, and you know, obviously Santa brings uh, a, a large portion of gifts, as we all know. Uh, but you know, Colleen decided to throw one in there, and it was a gift card that it. And you could probably correct me on this, Jake. Rock Lobster, Land Sharks, Mine Shaft, all owned I by the same right. Rob okay. Sabatini. Yep, G- great dude. So, Okay, so all three of them uh, appear on the gift card, and I look at my mom, and I was prop. Well, I I was twenty one. I, I wasn't rocking any sort of fake identification. I was probably twenty one or twenty two, <clears throat> and I go, "Mom, why?" You know, that that was my first reaction. She goes, "Well, I always see it on your credit card expenses, so I just figured, you know, it shows up frequently on your credit card. Why not, you know, go get you a gift card to a place that you seem to frequent a lot?" Um, so I decided not to buy a round of drinks with the gift card. I actually went to Land Sharks for lunch one day, and that's how I spent the gift card. Which, uh, by the way, some great some great food there back in the day. <laughs> Can you imagine at like three in the morning <laughs> settling up and being like, I've one got a sec, gift. one sec, I got my gift card here in the back left pocket. <laughs> that is that is pretty awesome. No uh, let me grab the it. manager. We have a kid here. We have a young adult here that's paying. For a, uh, a gift card. Speaking of paying for something, you brought up the Reds. Uh, I did make a Reds purchase over the weekend, all right? Now say that again. I made a purchase of some Reds gear over the weekend. I'm sitting there Friday night. Maddie and I just so put you're the, kids the reason. down. Well, <laughs> well, where are you going to go? Matt, Oh, come on, Mark. It's so unnecessary. Uh, it pains me to say the Cubs are starting to play better baseball, although yesterday, n- not a good end to London. But uh, I'm sitting there watching the game, and De La Cruz comes up needing a triple for the cycle. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm a sucker for nostalgia and history and all of that, but you just had this feeling like he was going to do something historic. And boom, as soon as he puts bat to the ball, it goes to the wall. He gets a triple. And next thing you know, I'm online purchasing an Ellie De La Cruz shirt. It will be here by the end of the week, and I'm very excited. I'll tell you what, when when he when he hit for the cycle, which is, I believe, what did I read? Like the 15th time in the history of the franchise somebody's hit for the cycle. First time since Eric Davis. Um and then my brain goes weird places where I'm like, okay, Eric Davis was 21 when he broke into the majors. His initials are ED. He's number 44, and he hit for the last cycle in Reds history. And now Ellie De La Cruz at the age of 21 with the same initials and the same number just hit for the cruise. Uh, hit for the cycle, excuse me. And then, Kevin, I thought to myself, they're not going to lose another game. That's it. <laughs> they, are, they are running the table. And then Pete Rose comes out and says that he gambled – uh, he has put wager down that the Reds are going to win the World Series. Oh, gee. I mean, God. oh, boy. Unbelievable. I mean, I realize now like he can do that. Well, I mean, I guess he could always kind of do that. But um, if Pete Rose wants to – and, gosh, we are in summer sports talk radio of the whole – should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Give us a call. <laughs> but if Pete Rose wants to be in the Hall of Fame – the first step is to just show any contrition whatsoever, right? And he has always been so smug about it, it's just not going to happen. But that's a whole different talk show. By the way, Todd Meyer, our executive producer, points out, uh, Rob Sabatini, who is a great dude, by the way, uh, he and Fred Treadway, who, of course, was uh, an IRL car owner, IndyCar car owner, um, the three bars they have, Mineshaft, Rock Lobster, and Average Joe's. They do not have ownership in Land Sharks, but they have those three. Okay. All three of them great. 
Um, Maybe it was Average Joe's than where I had lunch. And I'm now hearing the Rock Lobster Siren in my head, which is the perfect way to start a Monday morning here at 7 a.m. When I think of Rock Lobster, I always think of the toilet paper rolls that they had on the, the things that with the siren. They had the machine that would spit the toilet paper out like off the roll. I mean, clean toilet paper, obviously. Really? You know what I'm talking about? Gosh, I... I, I so basically, the toilet paper would become like streamers. That. It was... It was yeah. A, it ha- it was like a blower, like an air blower that would blow the toilet paper out, and like you know, ee, the siren would be going, and then the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, love their their cover of Love Roller Coaster would be playing. It was awesome. It was absolutely no wonder awesome. it was such an iconic stop. I, I do want to uh, chat a little bit more about the Reds. Well, we got a lot to get to on this Monday morning. I don't know if we even said good Monday morning to you. As Jake said, I'll be remote here up in Michigan the next couple of days uh, here on a family reunion. Every other year for the Lubbers crew that we venture up here just south of Traverse City on today's show it's not often that we replay a whole lot of interviews but I think we all looked at each other Friday afternoon when Chad Buchanan Pacers GM joined us to close out the show which you know some might say that every segment we do is a throwaway segment but I would say the Friday segment at 940 945 is probably one of the least listened to segments all week long Chad Buchanan was outstanding with his candor whether it was questions about the Pacers trying to trade the seventh pick whether it was his explanation on the Trace Jackson Davis situation which obviously caught a ton of attention Uh, Cam Whitmore falling to 20 were the Pacers active in that pursuit? Uh, he was really, really good. So we're going to replay that coming up at 8 o'clock. And then at 9 o'clock, we will have Brian Nash join us. He is the director of uh, basketball down at IMG. For those curious why we would have the director of basketball at IMG on, that is where Jarris Walker spent five years uh, before Houston. Uh, Brian Nash, also part of bringing Zach Eady down to IMG. So maybe we can throw him a Zach Eady question as well. But a little bit more into Jairus Walker as him and Ben Shepard were in the very studio that Mark and Jake are in right now with JMV on Friday. So looking forward to that because, again, Chad Buchanan just on a variety of topics, really, really good with us uh, Friday. And then a little bit more into Jairus Walker as uh, he will rock number one for the Pacers. Ben Shepard will wear 26, and they will get back to Indiana, I think it's next week, to get ready with uh, summer league practices leading into their first game out in Vegas on July 8th for summer league. Uh, Kevin, you got up to Michigan when? We got up at about four thirty, yes, four thirty p.m. yesterday, and okay, then it so unleashed from a storm standpoint about an hour later. So you spent the weekend in Indianapolis, then? Correct. Yeah, we drove up a little bit Saturday, and then uh, the the whole thing on Sunday. Anything fun over the weekend? Um, not really. I mean, it, it's just a lot of, <laughs> frankly, just a lot of like. Okay, here's the packing list. Did we pack everything? Now let's stress out about what have we forgotten, all of those things. Like I said, I watched the Reds. I actually got really into Saturday night um, once we had packed a good amount. Got really into that College World Series game, the first game, LSU-Florida. We're, we're, we're going to get a game three tonight to decide that national title. Um, watched a little bit of that. What did we do Friday? Friday we went to Arnie's. You ever been to Arnie's off 96? Yeah, of course. Great pizza. Great spot. That, that's a, an original Lafayette place, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. great, great pizza. Um, yeah, Rosie had a blast there running around on the patio. So that was pretty much it. How about you? Uh, we went, actually Saturday, went to Fountain Square. 
Uh, I love going up on it. And you know what? I wish I knew their name. Um, so we go to Fountain Square and we went up to the rooftop. Have you ever been to the rooftop? Uh, sure. There? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we go to the I rooftop. I lived in Fountain Square for a couple of years. And um, did you know there's a speakeasy in that building? I did not. No. Is the uh, duck pen still alive and well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's um, down in the... What's the name of the main building that the that the billboard is on top of in Fountain Square? It's just called the Fountain Room Building, right? Or whatever. I don't even know. Uh, the is, duck pen bowling is f- building. Is it a theater? Maybe that's it. The Fountain Square Theater, I guess. Yeah. But regard so that building where the duck pen bowling is, uh, the rooftop, of course, is on the roof. Needless to say, there is a speakeasy on the. I'll just say one of the lower levels. You have to know where it is. You have to know which door to go in, and you open the door up, and then before you is a beautiful, like full bar, oh, I mean, gorgeous. Sounds sneaky. It, it, it's very cool. But we got to. We went up to the rooftop. And you take the stairs or the elevator up, and you walk out, and there are all these people standing there with cameras, like they're, everybody had their phone out. And I'm like, "What's going on here?" And I thought it was for me naturally, but it wasn't. Um, there was a couple who had gotten engaged on Saturday evening, and the the bra or the groom to be after getting engaged already had it set up for all of his friends to meet them then at the rooftop. So he brought her there. They all knew that they were getting engaged. She obviously did not. Um, so they were, you know, it was a surprise for them. And then I, I thought to myself, he better be glad she said yes. That would have been terribly uncomfortable for him to show up and be like, sorry, guys, the engagement party's off. Um, but I, and then I, so I bought the guy a beer. I, I'm like, well, hey, you know, let me be the, and then I felt bad because I'm like, I'm actually the first guy to buy him a beer now that he's in, since he's engaged and I don't even know the guy. Uh, but they were, they were nice. So we kind of crashed that party, if you will. And then went is to. Is it called the Commodore? Does that sound that right? Commodore? That is the name of the bar. Yep. That's the speakeasy. Uh, Lionel Richie hangs out there. And then um, we went from there to Kuma's Corner, which I absolutely love. Oh, yeah. Love it. Did you place. rock out inside of Kuma's Corner? Oh, great, it's great. the best. Hard metal music in there. Docking played date, overhead. Nice first date was at uh, La Revolution, right across the street from Kuma's Corner. <laughs> That's actually a pretty decent place, right? Yeah, it's got a nice little back back patio. Yeah, I love my couple years in uh, in Fountain Square. Uh, nice. That sounded like a pretty good weekend then for you, or at least it was a good. good Saturday for you. It, it was good for sure. So, um, but plenty to talk about this morning, including we will, as Kevin had mentioned, we'll talk a little bit about the Pacers and Jarris Walker. I, I think the Jarris Walker interview with his coach is going to be interesting, Kevin, because you know he he does look like a guy that you look at him and you go okay i mean i mean it's like he looks like samuel l jackson as a power forward right like this guy just means business but by all account from the time he was in high school what, what are we doing here mark what, what what are we doing mark something played automatically <laughs> uh um, one of the kids had broken into the weight room here he just looks like a guy kevin that and, and we'll get more on Jarris Walker over the course of the morning uh, about this, but it's it's interesting to say this about a rookie, but he looks like a guy that's going to bring... The Pacers don't need like a professional all-business approach. They seem to have a pretty good j- just kind of core of that. You know, Buddy Heald, I think, is a big part of that, right? Of just having like the right approach day in and day out and not dropping from one game to the next, that, that energy and that commitment. But Walker seems to be a guy that falls right in line with that and even adds to it, so to speak. 
you know, I said this on Friday, Jake, but I think it's something that kind of describes how Walker is skill set wise. I mean, this is a dude that chose to go play for Houston, an extremely defensive minded, intense head coach in Kelvin Sampson. And that's exactly what the Pacers hope he's going to bring here to Indiana in that that is a rebounding defensive mindset first. I do think, and Rick Carlisle touched on this on Friday, the Pacers, I think, feel that there's a bit of an unknown offensively with Walker. I think that's something we can talk with Brian Nash about when he joins us at nine. And not to get too like technical, but I think when we watch Houston, the college team, they're not this, you know, unbelievable three-point shooting team. They're a very middle-of-the-pack offensive team, particularly from from three. So what I'm getting at is, and, and you hear this often with the college game, you know, Jaden Ivey, so many people said, hey, once he leaves Purdue and goes to the NBA, he's going to have all this spacing, he's going to be able to drive, and you know, his athleticism will be on full display. Well, in Walker's case, you would think now he walks into a, a starting lineup if he indeed is going to start, which I would assume he he, he will, into just a little bit more of an, okay, he's got great shooters around him, and he's got an unbelievable point guard. And at Houston, they just were two guard-dominant guys in the backcourt that didn't ask Jairus Walker to do a whole lot. So the Pacers won't need him to do a whole lot, but I am interested. This is a dude that used to be a high school point guard at times. He, you know, He's got a pretty good feel offensively. If that jump shot can improve at all, I, I do think there could be a little bit more there offensively than at least what we saw in his time at Houston. Again, Houston didn't need him to do much. I mean, this is a, this is a team that was a number one seed with him only averaging a little bit north of double figures. And again, when you hear Chad Buchanan talk about, hey, when we play Jason Tatum, when we play Giannis, this is the dude that we want guarding those guys. That obviously is going to be the big calling card for what Jairus Walker is to bring here to Indiana. Uh, so Brian Nash, IMG Director of Basketball, where Walker spent his high school days coming up at 9 o'clock. Chad Buchanan, again, terrific on the draft, the potential trade of the seventh pick, Trace Jackson Davis situation, both sides of it. Why the Jackson Davis camp wasn't too fond of, of potentially being here in Indiana on a two-way contract and the Pacers logjam on their roster, which contributed to that. Uh, and then Cam Whitmore. When he started falling, the Pacers got pretty active uh, and, and Chad will share his thoughts with us on that. So good Monday morning to everybody out there. It is Kevin Bowen. It is Jake Query. It's Mark Dykton. It's Kevin and Query right here on 93.5, 107.5, fan. All right. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Tonight, we've got Game 3 of the College World Series. It is winner-take-all SEC style. How about yesterday? Florida's got to win to keep their season alive. They score three touchdowns and Anthony Richardson kicks a field goal. You know, the. I guess if you are LSU, you better be glad that it's not a cumulative score that wins it all, right? <laughs> 
Can you imagine being the LSU pitcher that had to like pitch the final few innings? Hey, man, <laughs> welcome to Omaha. Um, <laughs> we we are going to need you tomorrow night in Game Three, but we're going to need you to record the final few outs as we're down twenty-four to four. That was the final most home runs ever in a College World Series Finals game. Most runs ever in any College World Series game. So LSU won on Saturday night. Florida won yesterday afternoon. Tonight, eight o'clock for all the marbles. Florida going for their second national title in baseball. LSU going for number seven. And, and I don't know, Kevin. Like coming into it, I I, I guess I could look at their seating. Uh, coming into it, which of these two would have been the favorite? LSU, right? Oh gosh, what what is their seating? For some reason, I feel like Florida was the two seed. Yeah, Florida. I'm the two trying to and picture LSU's a, a five. Okay, five. So, yeah. So Florida would have been favored then. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> It has been fun to watch though, the College World Series. Major League Baseball uh, yesterday. St. Louis over the Cubs 7-5. They're still in uh, they still in London. It was a two-game series, oh, so they're flying uh, back. That's right, yes. Lord. Which, which side Thank of the you, ocean are they Mark, for on? your professionalism. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Reds losing to the Braves 7-6. In case you're keeping score at home, that means what? They've won 12 of their last 14? Is that right? Can we go to that, can we go to that Angels-Rockies game on Saturday, guys? On Saturday? Oh God, that was insane. See, I'm sitting here the looking Ang- at the Rockies 4-3 over the Angels yesterday. Thank you for asking. The Angels beat the Rockies on Saturday 25-1. to <laughs> And it was 23 to nothing in the fifth inning. Were they running they scored. Hands? I don't know. They scored 13 in the third, 8 in the fourth. They were up 25 nothing, but those pesky Rockies, they just don't go away. They scored one run in the bottom of the eighth. Here's the thing. If you're at a game and somebody has a 13-run third inning, are you bailing by the fifth? Either way, right? How about they had eight in the fourth? So they fall up the 13 spot in the third. They go eight in the fourth, and then they come on the PA. Uh, beer sales are actually going to end here after the fourth <laughs> inning. I mean, for real. <laughs> That would be awesome oh, to be incredible. in a game like that, though, right? I mean, either way, yeah. just to be like, this is unbelievable. Well, sometimes the, the, Angels cor- hit, the Angels hit back-to-back-to-back home runs on back-to-back-to-back pitches. Yeah, that's same, same pitcher. Style. That guy. Same pitcher I mean, there. He, yeah, he actually Indianapolis was, Indians. I was going to say, he was hoping the beer sales did not stop <laughs> after that, right? Yeah. yeah, they just sent a keg, to, a keg of Coors to his apartment after that one. Uh, Indians had one three in a row. They lost 6-2 yesterday. They are in Louisville all this week. They do have a home game. If you're looking ahead next week, they do have a home game on July 4th. So for those playing in around that victory field, we'll have the Indians on July 4th. Uh, NASCAR yesterday in Nashville. It was Ross Chastain getting the win over Martin Truex Jr. Kevin, give me a number, please, 1 through 36. Uh, well, let's go with 24 for the Gators. Number 24, you have... Oh, this is excellent. You have received a lifetime supply of Bushlight Peach. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to need a lot of those to get through the 41 people I'm hanging out with this week. Kevin Harvick, you finished 24th. Mark, a number for yourself? Uh, eight. Uh, number eight for Mark Dykton. You have received a lifetime supply of uh, Allegiant. Is that the airline? Yeah, sure. Eric oh. Jones and the Allegiant Chevrolet. And a number for myself? Uh, three. Finishing in third place, Denny Hamlin. So I have FedEx lifetime yeah. supply of FedEx. FedEx Boy, Brown, talk about though. talk about three unique brands right there, all serving us: Allegiant, FedEx, and Bush Light Peach. Well, what's interesting is it's FedEx ground. So if I wanted to send somebody Bush Light Peach via FedEx, uh, and I didn't want to use the ground, I would then just put it on an Allegiant airline. Yeah, and then we I was gonna say I'll right? fly to Florida on Allegiant, and then you, Kevin, can send you a. 
bushlight peach, and you right. can ship it to me via FedEx. Yeah, that's right. Via the ground, though. Look at this. That's, Unbelievable. That's the uh, the Fever, they lost yesterday to the Aces. They're back in action against Las Vegas again tonight. Aaliyah Boston, the rookie, the number one overall pick, uh, she was named a rookie starter in the All-Star game. I saw the list. I'm trying to think of how many people were on that list. I want to say she's one of like six or seven rookies ever in league history to be a starter in the All-Star game question in about year that. one. I have a question about that. It, one of the things I read – was that Tamika Catchings was one of them. Now, is that with, like, the asterisk? Because if I'm not mistaken, Tamika Catchings did not play as a rookie, right? Yeah, torn, torn ACL, so right? So, technically speaking, are they going with her second season, which was her, her first year of playing, and that was considered her rookie year? I believe so, because I've seen some of the NBA Rookie of the Year odds, and they have Chet Holmgren listed on the odds. Okay, And Chet obviously was drafted now two drafts ago right. and did not play due to that foot injury. So, yeah, I, I think that is technically correct. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we're going to replay Chad Buchanan coming up here in about 25 minutes. But when we come back, Jarris Walker, the rookie for the Pacers, is there something in his past that actually is going to benefit the blue and gold? I'll explain. We'll get to that in our discussion as we continue here on a Monday morning. Kevin Aquari, good morning to you. 93.5, 107.5. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. I'm the fan. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Good morning to you on a Monday. Jake Query along with Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen as well. As we will replay for you our interview with Chad Buchanan, some really good insight about the Pacers draft coming up here uh, in just about 15 minutes. But to dive deeper, Kevin, on Jarris Walker, the, the draft pick for the Pacers, as you had talked about from University of Houston. You know, if you look at most players in the NBA – and I've said this a lot, Kevin, and I know that things are changing a little bit in this dynamic. But when I go to Pacer games, oftentimes I'm sitting there and, and whoever I'm, I'm sitting with, I, I will. It, it hits me. I have this epiphany during the course of games where I'm watching it and I say to the person next to me, I go, you know what's crazy? Take whatever team the Pacers are playing. And more often than not, you know, there's some wing player that hits a big shot or something, and you're like, man, where did that guy go to college? And you look it up, and you're like, oh, I totally forgot about him. He was at Kentucky for one year. He was at Kansas for one year, Carolina, whatever. And I've always said, I'm like, the thing about the NBA to me that's fascinating is every player that you're seeing is the best player ever from their high school, ever, right? Like, you know... Eric Gordon, I went to North Central High School. Eric Gordon's the best player to ever play. And people still talk to this day about like when Eric Gordon was at North Central and when they won, you know, when they went to the state finals with Eric Gordon or Jason Gardner, one of those two guys. And they go on and on. And Eric Gordon's a nice NBA player, right? He's just a guy in the NBA, though. He's a nice player. Cathedral. You went to Cathedral. The greatest basketball player in Cathedral. Who's the greatest basketballer in Cathedral High School? Ken Barlow? Scotty Hicks, right yeah, on those are two. I mean, we'll, we'll see what the Xavier Booker kid does at Michigan State, but um, yeah. Okay, so we'll take Ken Barlow. 
you know, Ken Barlow in the NBA was a, I mean, he was a predominantly overseas player, played, I think, with the Lakers in the NBA, but for the most part was just a guy. But people still talk about to this day when you mention Cathedral High School, people are like, "Oh man, Ken Barlow back back in '83." I'll never forget the, the the regionals at Hinkle with Ken Barlow and Scotty Hicks. And every high school has that guy, right? That people still talk about thirty years later, forty years later, whatever it might be. If and when you when you see guys when they get to the professional level, I think sometimes Kevin, it is difficult for players to find new roles at the professional level because they have been the guy their entire playing career. In middle school, they were the best player ever to play at their middle school. In high school, they were the greatest player ever to play at their high school. In college, they were the star or the the, the straw mixing the drink at the college level. Eric Gordon, when he was in Indiana for one year, was the leading scorer in Indiana, and people were like, oh my gosh, like Eric Gordon at IU, this is huge. It's the front front page of the newspaper when he decommitted from Illinois, and now he's going to Indiana, etc." Jarris Walker played his high school basketball at the IMG Academy. He was on a roster two years ago that has like three different players that are that, whose names were called along with Jarris Walker in the draft on Thursday. Tamar Bates, for that matter, was on his team. And we know how much Tamar Bates likes to pass the ball. So Jarris Walker comes in to a situation, Kevin – where the Indiana Pacers are not anticipating, expecting, or asking him to be the straw mixing the drink. They're asking him to be the the sweet and low that gets mixed in with everything else to help sweeten the taste of what they're trying to put together. And he is coming from a situation where that's what he has been asked to be in his style of play. When he was at IMG, and we're going to talk to his coach coming up here in an hour, but when he was at IMG, I'm not saying they didn't ask him to score. But he's playing with Jaden Bradley. He's playing with Tamar Bates. You know, he's playing with different guys. And so as a result of that, he's probably being asked to be the dirty work guy. And, and the defensive-minded, rebounding aspect of the game. I just think that that mentality and that experience of not having to be the centerpiece offensively is an absolute like godsend for an NBA franchise because you're not having to remold the player himself of what you need him to be versus what he has been. This is what he has been is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think it's especially true given the makeup of how the Pacers have played over the last handful of years. They've been such a poor team on that end of the floor defensively, such a poor rebounding team. Um, you know, they averaged, I, I don't know if we, we acknowledge this enough, the Pacers averaged 116 points per game last year. 116 points. That is the most in their NBA history. And they won 35 games with the best rim protector in the NBA, or one of the best rim protectors. I mean, they can't guard anybody. And that's why I think there was some hesitancy from people going back to the how you label Walker. You know, defensive player, you know, offense, we'll see if he can grow into that. You know, s- some people felt like, okay, too low of a ceiling for the seventh overall pick. But I just think this current puzzle and how you've built it needed such a defensive focus that this was the path you had to go down. It, it, could Walker, you know, does he have 10-time all-star potential? You know, probably not. You know, obviously that's a high, high bar. But he definitely is not the highest ceiling pick. But given how you've constructed things, and again, just how awful you've been on the defensive end of the floor, you've you need that type of 
defensive-minded guy who brings an attitude on that end. And, and, you know, as much as Turner is a great rim protector, the issues that you have defensively are not protecting the rim. It's more of guys getting to the rim on such a routine basis. And when you hear from Chad Buchanan here in a few minutes, and he mentions, you know, we need a guy that can go guard Jason Tatum and guard Giannis, that's why I get back to, again, by now it was probably four or five years ago, but Thaddeus Young. And they, they're not the exact same body type, but that type of presence I think is really, really missing um, from this team. A um, couple of other things on the Buchanan front, Jake, that I found interesting with us. And again, we're going to replay that here coming up in a few minutes. He was very adamant that they were active not only in trying to trade the seventh overall pick for a veteran player, but also to try and trade back I guess it would have been higher into round one. So they drafted Ben Shepard out of Belmont at 26. They were trying to trade back up into probably the teens to try and get Cam Whitmore when Whitmore, the Villanova wing, started to fall apparently due to some medical reasons. But 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 um, that was in addition to the pick they already had, right? In other words, they correct, weren't trying yeah. to pass. It was once they realized Whitmore was still available, they're like, whoa, wait a minute, should we jump back in here, right? Yeah, I want to say he said around pick 10. So they took Walker at, you know, 7, I guess technically 8. And then once they saw Whitmore, like, not go at 9, maybe not go at 10, they're like, oh, wow, he could start falling here. Um, So that will be, you know, I think it's just a reminder of when free agency rolls around next week. Obviously, you don't have the 7th overall pick, which is the big sort of chip and trying to move that to acquire a veteran. But I'll be curious to see with their cap space, which is north of $30 million, what they try and do to you know clearly make a move that is a little bit more on that win now front. Um, one thing to note as well with the Pacers, and again, Summer League for them will start on July 8th. Did you see uh, Oscar Shibway from Kentucky? will be on their summer league team and will be a, a two-way contract guy for Indiana this year. Yeah, and and seemingly, I mean, I guess what else is he going to say? You know, this is a guy that was the national player of the year at Kentucky, comes back. He is a rebounding machine, which I guess is what they need. Um, machine. I think there were questions about his overall athleticism, which is why probably he, he was went undrafted. But I like the fact that he and, – and you can't read into this, I, I realize, but – you know, he sent a tweet like, hey, he's excited. You know, I'm ready to go. Thanks for the opportunity. And, like, uh, you know, let's see what he can do. Why not take a flyer on it, Kevin, right? Like, why not take a flyer on it? This would be the equivalent of, you know, if you had, I don't know, a wide receiver that put up dynamic numbers at Ohio State, but people thought that, well, he doesn't have the breakaway speed or the route running ability. He just has great hands, but he's not a great athlete. So that's why he didn't go draft in the NFL draft. Well, he put up huge numbers at Ohio State. Let's go ahead and sign him and see what can come out of it. That, that's kind of the same flyer here, right? And his dominant trait, Jake, is your biggest weakness. And so, yeah, that, that, that to me kind of checks out of, yeah, why not give him a shot? I am curious, would that have gone or would that have been the attempt by the Pacers for Trace Jackson Davis? Had he gone – Undrafted. Well, I think that you was. Know, it, I, I do think that they um, and, and Trace's camp just didn't want the two way. Yeah, I, I think Trace Jackson Davis wanted to go somewhere. You know, kudos to Greg Doyle because he, 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 I think he had talked to Davis's side. Now, there's two sides to every story. We'll hear Chad Buchanan's side coming up here in about six minutes. But um, I, I think that players. I have always felt, Kevin, that once you get, if you are an NBA prospect and you're sitting there on draft night. Once you get to about like pick 35 in the last 15 to 20 picks of the draft, 25, whatever it might be, 
at some point you become better off going undrafted and then being able to pick your situation that has the opening that best fits you as opposed to having somebody take you where it's just a bad fit and they're taking you because you were, quote, best player available. Uh, In Trace Jackson Davis's case, I do think that there were a number of teams that had probably talked to him and said, we would be interested in drafting you at this point and putting you on a two-way contract to oscillate you back and forth from the G League to the NBA. And I think the conversation was had of – we don't want to do that. There, there are teams that would still take Trace Jackson Davis and put him on the full roster, and Golden State was one of those. So it kind of, it worked out best for Trace Jackson Davis for sure. I know I know Indiana basketball fans and Center Grove fans and and Indiana high school fans were upset. Trace Jackson Davis did not end up with the Pacers, but if you're a fan of Trace Jackson Davis, you should be thrilled of where he ended up because it was the best situation for him, the player. Maybe not for you, the fan of him, but for him, the player. As for Chad Buchanan and the the side, the variation of what the Pacers were tempted to do with Trace Jackson Davis and what the exact game plan was and the execution of it throughout draft night. He joined us on Friday to talk about that. We will replay that for you coming up next here on Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. It was a great way to close out last week. Chad Buchanan, the Pacers GM, recapping draft night with us. He did that to end Friday's show, as we said. Leading off today, we know that can be typically not a heavily populated listened segment. So if you missed that, some great stuff from Chad Buchanan right here on not only the Trace Jackson Davis situation, but Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard, the Pacers' efforts to try and trade out of number seven and try to trade back higher into round one for Cam Whitmore. Here was Chad Buchanan describing what Thursday night was all about for the Pacers. A very successful night, I think, for us. I think every team wakes up the day after the draft and feels good about their picks. And, you know, we got a couple guys that we really, really had targeted and liked going in. Um, You know, our board, I think, you know, the top 10 guys probably went about in the order we expected. And we had a couple guys we were very comfortable with drafting, depending on who went before us. And um, Jairus was a guy that, We've liked all season long, both from a positional need, the talent level, uh, the character you know standpoint. There's just a lot of boxes that he checked that you know made him a, a big priority for us. And you know Ben Shepard is another player that you know came in and really impressed us in the workout. Was great at the combine. Um, a guy we tracked for the last two years that has really grown on us too. So. Um, in the second round, you know Mojave and Isaiah. You know second round is such a crapshoot, but. Uh, excited to see what those guys could turn into as well. So, you know, we felt it was a very successful night for us. Okay, in quick fashion, before we get to the kind of the nuances of the players, uh, I'm curious, with the the trade that took place, I think we now know what took place with Washington. I mean, San Antonio apparently calls and says, look, we have interest in this at seven, so you go to Washington and you say, we're getting... I guess my question would be this, Chad. How did you know that Washington had interest in the player that you selected for them at seven and... Why not just swap the picks in advance and have Washington make the seventh pick? Is that a time issue? 
Yeah, some of it's a time issue. Some of it didn't play out exactly how you mentioned there either. Um, you know, when you have multiple teams chasing a player uh, that maybe is a player that you're not targeting, um, it puts you in a position to try to, you know, move down a little bit and, you know, pick up an asset or two that can help you, you know, in the long run. Um, and a lot of this stuff happens right on the clock. I mean, it's it happens fast. And like I said, a lot of teams coming after something at, at the same time, you know, at the very, very last moment, you know, cause you to have to make a decision. And we were comfortable moving back for, a, you know, a small, like I said, a small assets coming to us and still getting the guy we had targeted. So uh, it, was, it was a very easy decision for us. Chad Buchanan's with us here, the Pacers general manager. But Chad, before we get to Jarris Walker, uh, how close were you guys, if at all, of trading number seven for a veteran or trading up in the draft? You know, we didn't have as many options as we had hoped um, for a veteran that we had targeted. Uh, we tried very, very, very hard to do that. We had a, a group of players around the league that we felt would be a great fit with our young core that played a position of need that we went after as about as aggressive as we possibly can without sacrificing you know, our complete future. Um, but unfortunately, those players were not available. And so, um, you know, we tried on that front. But at the end of the day, we were, we were very comfortable with a couple guys staying at pick seven and adding another young player to our core to try to build with. Obviously, Jairus Walker was the selection. You don't play for Kelvin Sampson if you can't guard on that end of the floor. What is it about his physical makeup, his IQ defensively, that is so attractive and addressing, obviously, a major area of need for you guys? Sure. You guys watched our team all year last year. We we had a lot of offensive talent, and we were very poor on the defensive side. So that was a a big emphasis for us and will continue to be as we add to this team is guys that can come in and, and improve us on the defensive side. And, and Jairus does that. You know, Jairus has a lot of versatility to his game. He's a guy who played point guard for a little bit of time in high school, and he's got a great feel for the game, which Coach Carlisle and our staff really value. A feel for the game, ability to play in a flow offense, to make quick decisions with the ball, um, very unselfish, um, you know, just a good fit for us in a lot of ways, but mostly we're excited about his potential to defend, you know, defending that position, the six, seven, the six, eight, six, nine scoring hybrids is a, you know, it's a challenge in our league. And we, you know, Aaron Neesmith did a, as good a job as he can with that. He's a little undersized against some of those guys where Jairus has a little more, you know, size uh, and physicality to throw at some of these, you know, Jason Tatum's and Giannis's of the world. Uh, but that, that's where we felt like he was a good fit for us specifically as a defender. Chad, obviously I realize that if you know if something comes along that's going to make your team better, you're going to make a move. I get that. But in terms of moves precipitated by Indiana, by the Pacers, are you guys done for now, or are there still some auxiliary moves that can be made? Uh, I, I wouldn't say we're done You know, for right now. We're going to continue to explore what's out there. I mean, we have one roster spot right now still. Um, you know, there were other minor trade opportunities that we did not pursue that you're probably still there if we would like to. We wanted to see how our, our draft night played out. But we still have, you know, on our roster, we're happy with the young core. But, you know, I think we got to look at maybe adding one one more player to a certain role, and we'll, we'll look at that. You know, we've got still got cap room left. Um, like I said, we have the roster spot available. We have a two-way uh, contract available, a couple of those. So we still have tools to use, and we got you know some time here to look into those. How heavily did you explore Trace Jackson Davis at 55? 
I mean, we love Trace Jackson Davis as a player. And, you know, sometimes it's got to be a mutual interest. Um, you know, you don't want to have a player with you that is, you know, not coming in wanting to be there. And so, you know, Trace is going to be a terrific player. And um, like I said, we were big fans. Obviously, our roster and what he is, the position he plays, wasn't a great fit. And we understood that. And, you know, his representatives understood that. But, um, you know, if, if we had been in a situation where we didn't have four players at his position, um, you know, I think Trace would have been a great option for us. And like I said, we were big fans of his game. So then was there discussion – I would assume from that, from Trace Jackson Davis or his camp, that he would have been happier going elsewhere and that he didn't feel Indiana was a fit for him. I think that's accurate to say. Interesting. I mean, given the roster makeup, sure. I mean, it, it makes it makes total sense and why we've said throughout the show, Golden State on paper, much better fit than where things are with Indiana. Chad Buchanan with us, the Pacers GM. Uh, Chad, let, let's chat a little bit more about Ben Shepard. I know the shooting and the scoring ability at Belmont stands out. I was saying to Jake earlier, I feel like when I hear of good mid-major shooters, I think the stereotype is they can't guard anybody, but it seems like you know defense is not a liability by any means with him. No, I think Ben is a is a two way player. He's the thing that stands about out about Ben. This seems like something very minor. Um, is he is a in phenomenal shape and he's in constant motion on both sides of the both sides of the floor. He's offensively he's just running off screens. He's sprinting the lanes. He's curling off picks. He's he's pushing the ball in transition off defensive rebounds. He's just his motor just it never stops. Um, and then that carries over on the defensive side too. He's just a guy with a with a great effort level, a great care factor, uh, tremendous character. I think the fans and the media are going to love Ben Shepard. Um, we, we just really grew to like him in the pre-draft process. And uh, the shooting component obviously is something that we value in Rick's system, and he brings a lot of that as well. So there's a lot to like about Ben. Chad, one of the things that jumped out at me last night, Chad Buchanan's our guest, the GM of the Indiana Pacers. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. One of the things that jumped out at me last night, of of all the players that were selected, was I, I it struck me how incredibly mature, humble, and and just really impressive the vast majority of these young men were. And I'm curious, are we starting to now see uh, and there's a lot about this I don't like, quite frankly. But is part of that the byproduct of the fact that now you are getting players that have been in the limelight and under a spotlight since the age of 14, 15 years old and thus have a better understanding of all of the expectation that comes with being selected in the NBA? That's a great question, Jake. You know, I think there is some accuracy to what you're saying. These guys that come into the league, they're – it's very rare that we interview a guy at the draft or when they come through our, our building that we're not like, gosh, it's a really sharp, you know, bright, articulate young man. And they're obviously they're well prepared these days by their, their representation and their families. And they know the importance of making a good you know, representation of themselves when they meet with NBA teams. And I think last night's a great example. You see all these kids. I mean, they're living out their dream in front of the world on TV and, how they carry themselves and answer questions and handle the situation is, I feel like every year is it just gets more and more impressive. And, and I think every year we find less and less players in this draft that are 
red flags from a you know character standpoint and uh, i think that's a representation of what you're saying of just their amount of time they spend around each other and in the limelight i think that's very accurate jake Okay, Chad Buchanan with us here, Pacers general manager. Obviously, a quick turnaround now to free agency here in about a week. Chad, if you had to kind of lay out needs as you guys enter free agency and certainly the ability to still execute some trades, what would that needs list look like? I think it's balancing our roster right now. I mean, we still have four centers. Um, you know, we have a couple guys at the power forward spot that, you know, young guys between, you know, Jarris, Aaron Neesmith. Jordan Nawar can all play the four. I mean, maybe another wing forward, you know, if, if we bounce out our roster would, would help. Maybe another point guard. I mean, we're going to look at all, all those kind of things here in the next couple of weeks uh, with trades and free agency. Chad, how important was it? You had so many assets going into the draft in terms of – and I'm talking about before even the trade with Denver. Was there a concerted effort – as crazy as it sounds to alleviate yourself of the number of picks you had in this draft to give that flexibility not only of roster but of cap room as well yeah i think it was more so when you go into a draft of five picks and you have three roster spots you, know, you obviously got to be aggressive to try to to manage that component um you know you have the two ways as an option you know we're trying to maintain as much ammunition uh, for when the, the right player comes along via trade. So, you know, the trade we made with, with Denver and accumulating another pick in next year's draft is kind of kicking the can down the curb a little bit where if next trade deadline or, or this summer or even next draft, if, you know, having that extra first is what gets you over the hump to get a player that you have targeted, um, that's always a good thing to do from a business standpoint. And, you know, last night we moved around quite a bit. We moved, you know, a couple picks out we moved moved down a little bit so we were trying to juggle as much as we could so at the end of the night we could come away with you know some ammunition for for this summer and into next year and that's what the the future first i think has a lot of value for us and for teams around the league so we feel good about that um and just being in being in position to make a go for it move uh when that opportunity presents itself is important for us Chad, I had mentioned this earlier. In the mid-90s, there was this like art fad called Magic Eye. I don't know if you remember these, but like they were the, the pictures that were computer-generated, and you had to stare at them for like five minutes, and then eventually like a 3D image came into form, and you're like, oh my gosh, I see it now. Does that ring yeah. a bell to you? Okay. Yeah, sure, sure. Does that feel like the assembly you guys have done with this roster because a year ago it i I think even by your guys own admission you were still kind of waiting to see when the picture was going to form and it seems to me like the picture has formed even faster than you anticipated and the vision of where the indiana pacers are and can go is clearer faster than perhaps you even thought am i off base uh, possibly so. I think, you know, Ty obviously changes everything for us. Finding the right pieces around him um, is important, but also not being in a rush to jump up to, you know, being the eighth seed and being stuck in the seventh and eighth seed range. You know, we're, I think the hardest thing in the NBA is resisting the urge to be like five games better and limiting yourself, you know, two, three, four years down the road. So being patient. I mean, we just saw the Denver Nuggets be patient with their core and slowly build around it and it culminate in a championship. And I think that is what we're trying to do. Um, there's always going to be temptations along the way and um, you want to be good and continue to grow. That is our goal, but you want to do it the right way. So we feel good about this young core. 
Um, we know we still have a lot of work to do. We're not anywhere near where we need to be or want to be, but um, I think last night was a good good step forward for us, and um, I think Jairus will be a, a great fit for us. Chad, last one from me. Um, was there any thought when a guy like Cam Whitmore starts to slide to try and trade up? I can assure you we tried as hard as we possibly could on that one, and that was a – we called basically from about pick 10 down until his name came off the board. It was a frantic room um, trying to be aggressive to move up uh, into that range. And unfortunately, it takes two teams to, to tango on that one. And um, you know, most of the teams had their guy and did not want to move. And um, we were very aggressive. That's why we had these, these extra picks um, to do things like that. And, you know, unfortunately, your aggressiveness doesn't always match up the other team's willingness to do something. So, but we were very aggressive trying to move up last night. Okay, last one for me, Chad, and we only got like forty-five seconds left, unfortunately. But um, when you look at your roster, the position where you still need some more competition amongst your roster would be which position where you need more depth. I would probably say the three-four spot. I think would be where is if I see maybe where a, a hole might be good to place another player. Um, you know, obviously it's not the center spot. You know, another another role that we really really like is having a veteran mentor with a young group in our locker room. James Johnson was that last year and was a was a had a good impact on our young group. So I think those are the two spots that if I see probably a need, that would be where we'd look to address. Chad, I always enjoy our conversations. It's terrific insight no matter what we throw at you. Uh, enjoyed the golf outing experience last summer with you. Hopefully we can do that again here in a few months. And uh, good luck with all the chaos that will certainly continue next week as well. Thank you. Hey, and I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our staff. It takes a, it takes a village to, to run a draft. Ryan Carr, all of our scouts, uh, Sonia Clutton, Susie Fisher, all the people on our admin staff, are just uh, they deserve a big shout-out. They don't get the credit for what goes into an NBA draft. So I just want to give them a, a big shout out and thank you. But I appreciate you guys. General Manager of the Indiana Pacers, Chad Buchanan, on Friday morning. Kevin, one of the things that jumped out at me, somebody else pointed this out to me. It was a, a very good point. When it came to trying to trade back, as he was talking about, uh, and I get why they did it, and, and I think they probably would do it again, but the reality is perhaps the trade that the Pacers had made with Denver – of trading their two those two picks that they had for the 40th pick and then acquiring future picks that gave them some flexibility. That might have actually taken away some of the assets they could have used to move back in and sweeten a deal to try to get back in to, to get Whitmore or a veteran or whatever it might be. So, um, you know, perhaps in in that case, they they made one move that prohibited them from making another. Yeah, I guess it, it probably just depends on how a team would view the future first-round pick. Some teams would probably say, hey, I'd rather have a pick in this current draft. Other teams would say, no, I, I kind of like the future. I, I like the 2024 first-rounder. And that's something we talked about late last week of I was a big fan of the Pacers making sure – with those late first-rounders, we knew they weren't going to spend all of them, 26-29, and I guess the one there in the second round, 32, go get that extra first. And as you just heard from Chad Buchanan, um, now you're in a position that when we want to make that major move, they have more uh, ammo to work with. Uh, When we bring up the chaos of this week, again, free agency at the end of the week, 33 million, that's right around, 32, 33 million, right around what the Pacers will have 
that's a big chunk of change when you compare it to the rest of the NBA. He said it right there. They have been seemingly very active in trying to get that three or four guy. Um, does the pick of Jairus Walker lessen that? Do you still look at a guy like Harrison Barnes, who has strong ties with Rick Carlisle, Dorian Finney-Smith, times in Dallas as well? Uh, Jeremy Grant, you know, some of these other kind of threes and fours out there. Do you try and go down that path with the big amount of cap space that you have? Because really, you don't have a very, uh, I would say, any important free agents. O'Shea Brissett, I think, uh, is a nice player, but there's no need to break the bank for him at all, especially with the selection of Walker. So, again, I, I really enjoyed that interview. Uh, Jake, I thought he was terrific. I thought he handled the Trace Jackson Davis questions that you threw at him uh, extremely uh, candid, and as we said to end last segment, Trace is in about as good of a spot as you could ask to be in. Nobody on that Golden State roster is over 6'9". Uh, I didn't realize his agent is Mike Dunleavy's brother, and Mike Dunleavy is the new GM of the Warriors. And when you talk about the fits for Jalen hood Shafino and Trace Jackson Davis, obviously Golden State and LA respectively stand out because of the brands that they are, but think about the finances. The Lakers can't spend major money on their 8th, eight, 9th, 10th guy because they're so front-loaded with how much money they spend on their top few guys. Same thing with the Warriors. Uh, the Pacers have a little bit more of a spread-out cap. What that means is if you are the Lakers or the Warriors, you've got to play some young guys to round out kind of that, that second unit. So that's good news for Jalen Huchifino, and I think it's potentially good news for Trace Jackson Davis when you look at their roster and see no one over 6'9". So I get they're out west. Probably not what Indiana fans wanted, but I would argue that the fits of their situations are about as good as you could have hoped for. The other thing for Jalen hood Shafino, we haven't talked a lot about Jalen hood Shafino, Kevin, and and his selection with L.A. We didn't talk a lot, a lot about that on Friday, but you make an excellent point in terms of the minute distribution, you know, et cetera, um, that you're going to have to get young guys that are playing a lot. In addition to that, doesn't it feel like, Kevin, and I know that Anthony Davis is, you know, a dynamic player that is probably just entering his prime, but, you know, the reality is that, that LeBron is still going to be kind of a centerpiece guy, but he's in the twilight of his career. So doesn't it feel like the the Los Angeles Lakers – are right on the verge of kind of a flip, if you will. In other words, right. like a, you know what I mean? Like a roster flip rotation and figuring out and, and resetting the deck. And so getting in on the ground floor on that, if you're Jalen Hood Shafino, one would think is a pretty advantageous situation. Yeah, they are going to have to flip it, you would think, somewhat soon. I mean, if you look at their backcourt situation, um, you know, obviously last year it was primarily D'Angelo Russell and then um, a little bit of Dennis Schroeder as well. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say Russell is a free agent and Schroeder might be as well. So, you know, how they handle that and the ramifications on Jalen Huchifino will be something to watch. Um, before we get to a morning check down, I did see there are a couple of other Indiana-related ties for undrafted free agents uh, finding teams from the Summer League. Uh, we talked about it here with the Pacers. Oscar Shibway, the National Player of the Year just before Zach Eady, the Kentucky product, he will be on a reportedly, I think Tony East had it, on a two-way contract. So he'll be with the Pacers Mad Ants here coming up this year. Each team gets three of those two-way contracts. Um, as far as other players 
from local ties around the NBA. I saw Race Thompson is joining the Knicks for the Summer League. Uh, Armand Franklin, the Cathedral product, played at IU, transferred to Virginia. He is with Denver for the Summer League. And then uh, UC Mike Davis's son uh, found a spot in Portland. So Antoine Davis, obviously the prolific scorer for his dad at Detroit. He is with Portland. So July 8th, I believe, is when the Summer League will start for the Pacers. Uh, but July 7th, a uh, week from Friday, you're going to get Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Shafino in the first summer league game for those two teams and those two players. Man, I'll tell you what, my my dream would be to play in the NBA summer league. I mean, I don't know what those guys get paid, but like, can you imagine? Like, it just of course, this is probably why I wouldn't make it in it, Kevin. I'm like, yeah, you know, it'd be awesome. You just like kind of lay around summertime, roll into the gym about 1 o'clock, play some pickup ball, go home. It's probably a little more involved than that, right? Yeah, Jake's Jake's been at the cabana all morning, and now he's just going to slide into the gym here in Vegas. I'm going to guess if you're trying to find a spot permanently in the NBA or in a two-way contract, I would stay away from the strip as best as Okay, how about this? It smells like Bushlight Peach a lot. (laughs) What would be better would be to be a scout whose job it is to go and watch the summer league because your job would be to just hang out at the nightlife establishments to see what players are in there so you can check you, you know what i mean uh jake why do you have like a, a credit card receipt here that you expensed from two thirty in the morning at a cafe well i was making sure that you know no players were out fat burger at 2 30 a.m it's all all it's- part of the game plan I think it's great for these NBA guys, too. You know, like Halliburton and company, they'll, they'll show up in Vegas. They look like great teammates. They pop on NBA TV for a quick segment, and then they just enjoy the nightlife. They, I mean, you can't tell me they're asking. They're actually grinding away at, oh, let, let's watch Race Thompson's fourth quarter here for the Knicks game. They're just sh- showing face out there and partying it up during the offseason. I, mean, I just love Vegas because like, anywhere where you can just go and have dinner at 2.30 in the morning, let's just go and have a full meal. You can always do it in Vegas, man, always. Time, by the way, for a morning check down. Major League Baseball yesterday, it was Cardinals over the Cubs 7-5. That game was still in England, right? Correct, yep. Okay, is it, after the, um, is it still 7-5 once you do the, uh, what, what what do you call oh, it? Oh, don't try to, the, the exchange rate? Is that yeah, the, the exchange rate, yeah. That, dro- that joke fell flat. <laughs> What's yeah. that? Well, that probably if, if, I, if, I, if I could have thought of exchange rate, it, it would have worked better. Uh, Braves over the Reds 7-6 yesterday. It was Phillies by the, over the Mets by the same score. Diamondbacks 5-2 over the Giants, but cute fellow winning 3-2 over the Mariners in our race for PBR. We don't even pay attention anymore to what the Oakland Athletics are doing because that's uh, Kevin's team, and I think they were Oh, no, they lost 12-1 to the Blue Jays. Oh, they did? That's unfortunate. 12-1. <laughs> to 1. Uh, Indianapolis Back to reality for my A's. That's right, and for the Reds, for that matter. Um, Columbus Clippers 7-6, by the way, over the Indianapolis Indians. Speaking of the diamond, tonight you're going to get a winner-take-all for the national title in the College World Series from Omaha. Yesterday you had Florida, and this is just a a historic score for the College World Series. 24 runs by the Gators. Chomp, chomp. Most home runs, six of them, in College World Series final history. Most runs ever in a College World Series game. And the largest margin in a finals game, 24-4. to So LSU won in 11 innings in a great game on Saturday night. And yesterday afternoon, Florida has to win to keep their season alive. They put up 24 Runs And tonight, we will get a Game 3 from Omaha. Florida going for national title number 2 in baseball. LSU going for number 7. 
By the way, speaking of Las Vegas, the Fever will be there coming up tonight. They're taking on the Aces. They lost 101-88 on Saturday. Fever now 5-8. and eight. But Aaliyah Boston, the eighth rookie in WNBA history to start in, or be named a starter, I should say, in the WNBA All-Star Game. She is averaging 15.6 points, 8.1 rebounds per game. And then lastly, NASCAR yesterday in Nashville, the winner, Ross Chastain over Martin Truex Jr. and Denny Hamlin finished third. Mark Dykton, give me a number, please, 1 through 36. 16. Number 16 for Mark Dykton, you have selected Ryan Priest. That means that you win a lifetime supply of Morton Buildings. Okay. Uh, that's just a building made of salt with a little girl in an umbrella right. in front. Uh, Kevin, a number for you, please, 1 through 36. Yeah, let's go with the margin yesterday in that game two of the College World Series. Let's go with 20. Uh, 20 for Kevin Bowen was Corey LaJoy. You have won a lifetime supply of Garner Trucking. Um, oh, this isn't perfect. as exciting as our last round of uh, sponsorships. Let's go 36 for you, Jake. 36 for me. Dead last. Thank you so much. Ryan Blaney. I've won a lifetime supply at Menards. Hey, If I knew how to go. build wow. anything, that'd be wonderful, you but I have absolutely no idea what to do with any of that. You get 11% off everything, so there you go. <laughs> save big money there. <laughs> you, you, you do save big money there. That is that is absolutely correct. Coming up 30 minutes from now, uh, Jarris Walker's high school coach is going to join us. We'll get a little background as to the Pacers' first-round pick, and it's an anniversary day in Indianapolis. Of what? Well, I'll tell you exactly that coming up in just a bit as well. Monday edition, Kevin and Corey. 90. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 35175 The Fan. Halfway through the 8 o'clock hour on a Monday, good morning to you. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen on the program as well, joining us from a family reunion that he is attending in Michigan. Mark Dykton is here. Uh, 40-person uh, compound, he, as he's described it. That's, in, mm-hmm. that's not yeah. in Waco, right? Yeah. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, Kev. <laughs> I was going to say, come, okay, that's nice. that's come nice. Wednesday or Thursday, it could feel like I am. That's right. Um a couple of uh, things before we get to some interesting basketball news from Kevin here in just a second. I wanted to point this out, and I apologize. I, f- I forgot to earlier. Um, but one, I-, I guess, kind of personal note, but I had mentioned at the end of last week the story of my friend Steve. Um, in 2020, I did a series with Wheeler Mission called 30 Lunches in 30 Days where I met with a different person each day that was experiencing or going through homelessness in Indianapolis to chronicle what led to their home, you know, their situation and just kind of illuminate about homelessness in Indianapolis. And the 29th of those 30 was my friend Steve Dykus, who um, we, you know, he was kind of a tough exterior at first. And then during the course of our lunch, he kind of broke down and we, we just had a connection and maintained a friendship that went all the way through where Steve ultimately um, got his feet out, you know, got his feet underneath him, got some grounding again, did establish uh, residence and, you know, eventually got his way out of Wheeler Mission and worked through some of the struggles that he had. And, uh, I, you know, we became buddies. We'd go out for Basbo Pizza. We'd go to the grocery store, et cetera. And, and I really liked Steve. He... he he was not afraid to show his vulnerability to me, and he never asked a single thing of me. I will say that. He never asked a single thing of me. Um, last week, 
Steve in the residence that he had established. Steve was found in his home. Um, he passed away, and he leaves behind a daughter, an adult daughter, and two grandchildren. And I did talk to his daughter, and we're doing a celebration of life for him. Uh, but her hope for him, just in terms of his the service for him, and she did not ask this of me. But uh, and I want to emphasize that because I don't want people to think that these are people that were looking for a handout. That was not the case. But I felt in my friendship with Steve and in seeing Steve's resiliency and overcoming some of the obstacles and challenges that he had in his life and the transparency in which he went through those challenges, um, I set up a GoFundMe. Several people have replied to me and said that they'd like to help out. Uh, if you go to my Twitter account, which is at Jake Query, that's J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, um, you can make a donation to help in terms of Steve's final arrangements. Again, I want to make very clear that I set an amount on it that is estimated to be what it would cost for to help out the family. Um, again, his daughter and two children or two grandchildren. Um, in no way, shape, or form is it in any way intended for a single dollar to be above that amount. So no one is, is quote, profiting off of this tragedy. Uh, but I wanted to help out the family in that regard, and other people had asked, and I certainly appreciate everyone's assistance with it. And I will document as well the fact that I will be handing over that money so that everybody knows that everything is on the up and up. But that link on the GoFundMe, and thank you to those who have already contributed, um, that link is at Jake Query on Twitter. It is my pinned tweet. So if you go to the very top, you'll see the tweet. You can see Steve's story. And then there is a link right there towards it. And I appreciate, um, even if everybody just gave you know two bucks, it would certainly help out for a cause of very nice people that I've gotten to know throughout this unfortunate situation. Um, Kevin, you had mentioned that you were doing some of your casual reading up there at Spider Lake in Michigan. And in that casual reading, you came across some... News that, that not news, I guess, but prognostication that is of interest to college basketball fans in the area. Yeah, and by the way, Jake, obviously um, just an awesome cause that you're doing there to help out Steve's family. I, I also re- retweeted that just now. So for anybody out there that um, that follows me, you can just go to my Twitter account and you can see the GoFundMe link that Jake has created. Our show page On well. that end. Um, yeah, the 2024, uh, never too early to look at a mock draft, right, for next year. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week. Would we have two Indiana players going round one for the first time since Victor Oladipo and Cody Zeller in 2013, I think that would have been? Obviously, that did not happen with Trace Jackson Davis being the second to last pick. Uh, if you look ahead, and obviously we know the 2024 mock draft in late June certainly is going to come to fruition some 12 months from now. You have got two Indiana players, Jake, going in the first 31 selections via ESPN. They've got Kalel Ware, the transfer from Oregon. Uh, so tall, lanky dude, and feel like, you know, obviously he didn't touch anywhere his potential at Oregon. That's the thinking, that's the feeling, that's the hope for IU fans. Um, 11th overall. 
for him. And then the five-star freshman who just recently committed to Indiana, Mackenzie Mbako, going 31 overall. So just in round two there. A couple of other names of note in the 2024 mock draft. Bronny James, the son of LeBron, going 17 overall. Uh, We mentioned earlier in the show, Xavier Booker out of Cathedral, a top five recruit heading to Michigan State. He is listed at 33rd overall. And Zach Eady at number 39. Anything Drew Timmy, Oscar Sheboy, Trace Jackson Davis related, Jake, impact your thoughts on Zach Eady and his potential to be drafted next year? I think Eady, not necessarily how those impact him, Kevin, but I think one of the things in Zach Eady's draft status or prognostication that could come into play, and and I don't know... This is a. It would be an interesting question for Matt Painter in this regard. You know, if you look at Indiana with Thomas Bryant, when Thomas Bryant came back for a year at Indiana, when he probably could have gone into the draft the year before, but he came back to Indiana and during and and I don't know if this was by design. I would assume it was. He started shooting a lot of threes, and. That was, I think, by design, probably in coordination with Tom Crean as well, because it was in Tom Crean's best interest for players to go into the NBA that came out of Indiana. He he kind of, I don't know if you know this or not, but he coached Dwayne Wade. Tom Crean should tell people that more often. But um, there's a balancing act between letting players know that you develop NBA skill set for your players, but also doing what's best for your your team. And in Indiana's case, I don't I think it hurt Indiana. When Thomas Bryant became when he really started shooting the ball from the outside, you know, he's a guy that set an Indiana University career record for field goal percentage in a season. And then the, a year later, Tom Crean's got him shooting threes all the time. And I think that was to showcase his NBA skill set that he could do that. Does Purdue put in wrinkles for Zach Eady, Kevin, to show? Because I do think that Eady probably has better range than people think. I think the stereotype is, well, this guy's seven foot, you know, nine, and so he's not really. I realize, but at his size, he's basically just Herman Munster down there, and he's not. I do think that he has better athleticism and better range than he is credited and and I think that he probably started to show that a little bit during the course of this offseason but does Purdue Kevin put in some wrinkles offensively to allow him to showcase what he can do away from the block and if they do do you have to balance that to make sure that it's not getting away from who you are and what helps you win games yeah, I, I'd be surprised if, honestly, Matt Painter goes down that path too, too much. I, he just does not strike me as an individual that would do that. Um, you know, I'll credit Mike Woodson in Indiana. And again, maybe Trace Jackson Davis couldn't do this, but they certainly didn't do that with Trace when he came back uh, at all. I, I still think Edie, the fact that he was, what, 70, probably 2, 73% from the foul line this past season, I, I think that is an attractive number to NBA teams of, hey, maybe at some point he could stretch the floor a little bit more than obviously he's asked to do in West Lafayette. 
Um, and then I think it, it, maybe it's too recency bias with what we saw Nikola Jokic do during the finals. But if Edie can continue to show that he can facilitate a little bit, make the extra pass, make the smart pass, that I think can you know help his cause. You're, you're at seven four. You're always going to oversee everybody on the defensive end of the floor. So if you can do a little bit more of that um, within the flow of Purdue's kind of half court offense, I think that could make him more attractive. I guess to answer the question that I asked you, I don't think Sheway, Timmy, Trace Jackson Davis, their lack of being drafted or their falls in Trace's case is any indication on Zach Eady because at 7-4, he's just such a different case study than those guys that are all whatever, 6-8, Plus, by all accounts, the ESPN or the um, the NBA was kind of intrigued by what Zach Eady showed at the Combine and showed in some of those private workouts there. So, um, Obviously, it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up getting drafted and what, if anything, changes by how Purdue utilizes him this year. But I, I don't think for some reason, you know, it, I, I greatly shift my NBA thoughts on Zach Eady. Um, I still think once you get to the second round next year, that, that some team will take a chance on him probably in the first half of the second round compared to where you saw those guys go this past year. You know, one of the things that happened in the draft that I found of interest I'm watching late in the second round, and, you know, admittedly, Kevin, because I'm waiting to see where Trace Jackson Davis is going to go, right? And I think we knew that that it was going to be somewhere in round two. Well, I mean, I remember I said, as I was watching the draft, my prediction beforehand was that around pick 26 is when his name was going to start to appear on that best available list, that that, that little window they have on the right-hand side. Uh, I think it was actually pick 28. At, at pick 28, suddenly Trace Jackson Davis's name starts, you know, he's he's up there. And then he was actually the best player available on that list for several of the picks in the late 30s and early 40s, and then he ends up going in the 50s. But I'm sitting there watching the second round, and, you know, you're hearing predominantly it's all kinds of names that, you know, from Europe and and guys from smaller schools or whatever and then all of a sudden Cleveland is on the clock and they take Imani Bates from I believe it's Eastern Michigan and I'm like oh Imani Bates and he had some legal problems but Imani Bates was a guy that was the I mean he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated I think at one point in high school uh, there was a profile I saw on him from like ESPN when he was 15. You know, this is the guy that will become a household name, and he's going to play in front of sellout crowds his entire career. And he's the the best talent in, in the country. And he was the can't miss, Mister Everything from Michigan, uh, from Ann Arbor. I think Ann Arbor, the absolute can't miss product. And he had some legal issues, if I'm not mistaken. And I think he went to Memphis to start and then transfer yeah. to Eastern Michigan. Mm-hmm. And he gets drafted based on his potential. And that's why, Kevin, and I get it, you you, you probably go by, you live by the rule except for it, it, as opposed to the exception. You know, there's exceptions to every rule, but it's safer to live by the rule than the exception. But it's why I get so hesitant about recruiting analysis and assuming that players when you look at like you know like for indiana oh look at this you know they got two guys that are that are on their way here that are going to be that are nba level talent 
there were mock drafts that had, and I'm not kidding you, I saw a mock draft once before he stepped foot in Bloomington that had Christian Lander as the number seven, like a, a, a lottery pick. You know, Hunter Perea. Hunter Perea was terrible. He was terrible. Somebody told me that well, what as soon as he learns how to catch the basketball, he's going to be unbelievable. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, as soon as I learn how to swing a golf club, I'm going to be Tiger Woods. You just don't know. I mean, that's my point. My, my point being, you just don't know. It, it Certainly, it, it beats the alternative, and more often than not, probably those predictions become a, a good barometer. But at the same time, that's why I just get so, like, hesitant to buy in because you just never know. You know, I mean, you just never know. Yeah, yeah, I found it interesting. I guess this is a little bit on the other side of that, and I certainly hear you out. You obviously don't know until you get to the next level, but you know, odds are better that those guys are going to have a hit rate or that other teams or levels of basketball will say, hey, we're willing to give them a chance. In Imani Bates' case, that's true. If it's a two- or three-star recruit and puts up the numbers Imani Bates put up at Eastern Michigan, I don't think he gets drafted. But because at one point there was a thought that he was – one of, if not the best recruits in all of high school basketball, that an NBA team takes a chance on that player. I, th- I found it interesting. I think Chad Buchanan said it with us that Jairus Walker was a guy that the Pacers had identified before he even stepped foot on Houston's campus as someone that like, oh, wow, look at this guy at the high school level. And this is what he did at, I feel like it was like the Nike Hoop Summit when it's the USA, you know, juniors, if you will, against the world. Or, you know, in Miles Colvin's case right now, the the Purdue recruit, he's playing for the U19 team. You do get an identification with some of these guys before they step foot in college. And that's where, at least in the Pacers case, that was kind of their first um, introduction to Jairus Walker. And, I, and we'll get more into that with his, again, IMG uh, Basketball Academy. Brian Nash is going to join us here in about 15 minutes. Uh, are you a fan, Jake, of Jairus Walker rocking number one for the jersey fit? Wasn't <laughs> um, that Lance... a number guy? Well, it's funny. Am I a number Jaylen guy? Jalen Smith being 25, just FYI, in case people are curious why he's not maintaining his number from Houston. I think you can tell a lot about a player by the number he selects. You, you know, I mean, don't you have to have a certain like element of swagger about you to wear number one? Or zero. I've always thought zero is kind of the same. Um, but I'm not a so number. So Halliburton zero, right? And Matherin's double zero? I, I think that's right, yeah. <laughs> So zero, I kind of like the double zero. So zero, double zero, and one. Now three is Duarte, right? Boy, he's just so off the radar for me. That's is what I mean. Three? So you got to wonder if, because, if, you know, it'd be something, wouldn't it, to have like everybody numerically on the floor at the same time? But I kind of like 26 for uh, Ben Shepard. I see that. I think Kyle Korver. I think great shooter. That's the kind of player they want him to be, right? You got Duarte at three, Halliburton at zero. Um, you know, George Hill was seven. We'll see if he's still around. Uh, Nimhard is two. I forgot about Nimhard, right? So you could have zero, double zero, one, two, and three on the floor at, at the same time, right? Look at that. But th- but then you have no big, <laughs> right? I was going to say, you're, you're going to need a 33 out there. If you I, were an NBA player, about- you'd be what jersey number? Oh, double zero. Really? Mark, yeah. what would you go yeah. with? Uh, probably 14. Wharton, Little League, Wharton, and uh, soccer. So probably 14. Okay. 14's an unusual. Like, that, that's kind of cool. Uh-huh. Jake, you're going with three, I assume? 
three, yep. Three or forty. Three's always been your number. If three was taken, I'd be forty, but but otherwise it's three. I do think when you look at the Pacers roster right now, and, and we'll see how it changes next week, but it shouldn't change too much. I mean, they don't again, they don't have a lot of household free agents. And this is the difference in how the roster looks on June 26, 2023 versus how it looked January 26, 2022. Like you just look at the general roster, you see youth, you see athleticism, you see guys under contract, you just see like a much more of a modern looking roster with, you know, about 10 or 11 guys that you somewhat like to varying degrees. Obviously some you like a whole lot, some you're not, oh yeah, this guy's gung-ho and he's certainly going to be a part of our future. There's not this log jam at center with prominent guys from first round picks and money. Yes, you could still get rid of some of those centers, but it's not like guys that you are heavily invested in. And I think just to kind of summarize how the rebuild has gone so far, obviously we've seen moments on the floor that leads to kind of positive uh, feedback from the Pacers, but I just think how it looks roster-wise, the age, the contracts, it has a much more of a modern look, which I think was much, much needed based off where it was about 18 months ago. All right, Brian Nash, again, the IMG Director of Basketball Academy. He's going to join us in 10 to talk more about Jairus Walker. Kevin Aquari, right here on a Monday, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Jake, you know it's desperate summer times when you look at your phone last night and I'm like, wow, Jim Ursay just retweeted me. That is some very desperate summer content from the Colts owner. Uh, NFL pretty quiet right now. Retweeted a story of mine about Colts 53-man roster leading into training camp. We might be, today might be a month away from the start of training camp. We'll get an official announcement on the training camp schedule tomorrow. Frankly, I'm not sure why it's taken this long. I would like to get my fan base uh, planning and locked into their late July, early August schedule. But nonetheless, training camp announcement coming up tomorrow evening. I would guess July 25th, 26th-ish, right around there to start things up at Grand Park. Again, free, open to the public is what they've done in years past. I assume that will still be the case, and that is very much not the norm in the NFL so great work by the Colts in continuing to reach out in an avenue that 90% of the NFL has decided to kind of close up shop there did you have Isaiah Rogers on your roster no I did not I did not um yeah I think for now I'm just treating it like what's the list they call commissioner's list I'm trying to think of the list they like put right. you in timeout on in the NFL I, I I've just slid him over there and honestly I'm just kind of waiting for the Friday news dump I was waiting for it on Friday and I guess I'll wait for it this Friday I mean, and it is maybe the Friday after it is interesting for certain right like the fact that it seems inevitable but then again like we haven't heard anything other than the first report and then Isaiah Rogers himself jumping out and being like yeah it's me I'm the one that was uh, that they're investigating for gambling and nothing's come of it since yeah, so. been very quiet on that front. So, again, training camp announcement coming up tomorrow. Joint practices with the Bears, guessing around August 16th and 17th with that. Those will be here at Grand Park. We'll see the end date for camp because they have that earlier end of the preseason. They're going to Philly for a joint practice on the 22nd of August. Do we see a little bit of an earlier time? 
uh, end time up at Grand Park? And then exactly what time of the day will those practices be? Will there be a few more morning practices? Last year, Frank Reich tried to mimic the 1 o'clock game schedule. That didn't really work out. Um, so we'll get a training camp announcement from the Colts tomorrow around 5 o'clock. All right, on the other side, Brian Nash, the director of basketball down at IMG. That is where Jairus Walker spent five years before he went to Houston, also home of Zach Eady for a few years before he went to Purdue. Brian Nash joins us next here. Kevin and Quarry, 9 o'clock hour coming up. 9 o'clock hour underway. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. On a Monday, Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We had talked about the fact that Jarris Walker, the first-round pick of the Indiana Pacers, began his high school career at Susquehannock High School, I think I'm saying that correctly, in Pennsylvania as a freshman, before going to the IMG Basketball Academy in Bradenton, Florida. The director of that basketball program at IMG Academy joins us now on the program, Brian Nash, to talk about Walker, among other subjects, I would assume. But Brian, first off, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, I want to begin with this. Um, Give me a story about Jarris Walker. You know, you he was down there for more than just you. Know, some guys maybe just come for a year. I, I don't know how it works at IMG, but you were around him a fair amount, and you saw him probably develop not only as a player but as a young man over the course of the time that, that he was in Florida. Give me a story about him that you feel illuminates the kind of maybe person as well as player that Indiana is getting. Yeah, we were fortunate to have him, like you said, for four years. Uh, you know, in, in this world nowadays, sometimes you're getting these players for one, two years max. And, you know, for him, the, he, he was really the first four-year player that we had here at, on our national team at, at that elite level. Um, there's, there's one story that kind of stands out his freshman year. Um, you know, his mom and dad, Horace and Marcia, are incredible people and just you know, they, they did a great job raising him. And, you know, I think they had some reservations, maybe sending a freshman down here to, to, to a boarding school the, the first year. And, you know, I think it was maybe the third or fourth week of school. And, you know, Jarris, you know, as a 15-year-old as a at that time, um, got in a little trouble in the dorm. Like, nothing crazy, but just, you know, be, being a kid in the dorm. And um, Horace called us and said hey you know what i don't know if this is the place for my son because my son doesn't do things like this and he, he was basically saying ah, I, I might pull him out of school so um i think that story kind of goes back and relates to the character and and i mean jaris is a great player but i think he's been super successful over time because he has great character and he comes from a great family with great stock who've done a great job in, in having him be an all-around person 
Okay, Brian Nash with us, the IMG Academy Director of Basketball. Obviously, Jarris Walker spent quite a bit of time down there in Florida before going to Houston for a season to play for Kelvin Sampson and then becoming uh, the eighth overall pick for the Pacers last week. Brian, do you remember your first impressions of Jarris on the floor? Uh, I know there was a little bit of point guard background. I'm sure physically he's always been one that stood out, just kind of, hey, I want that guy coming off the bus first for us. But do you remember your initial reaction to watching him on the floor and maybe how he grew over his time? I'm at IMG. Yeah, I mean, when he walked in here, we, we thought he was Larry Johnson. I mean, just for for him to have that much size and to be as big as he was as a you know a 14, 15 year old, it was it was kind of incredible. Uh, you know, you, you don't see that too much. And the team that he came in on his freshman year, I mean, he's got three guys that are in the NBA right now. So you know, he, he was coming in, and, and he really had to fit in, had to you know earn everything that he had, and. You know, I think Jarrett, the, the best way to describe him over, over the course of, you know, his development and what he is now, I mean, he's like a Swiss Army knife. I mean, he can just do a bunch of different things. He's, you know, he's not great at one thing, but, uh, but he's a great defender. He buys into defense. Um, you know, he's a great rebounder. And then offensively, I don't think he gets enough credit because he can score in a lot of different ways. He's become a much better perimeter shooter. Um, you know, he, he can be a mismatch guy where he can, you know, exploit guys inside or outside, depending on who's guarding him. Um, but, but again, I think, you know, early on, just the fact that, you know, his size was so big, I mean, it was intimidating to other people. And, and uh, for him to come into that environment right away his freshman year and, and, and have that much success was a credit to him. Brian, the defensive rebounding issue for the Pacers has been pretty well documented here in this market over the past few years. So obviously that was a major attraction for Indiana and Jairus Walker. Was that always ingrained in him? Was there always a defensive presence? I mean, I, I don't know many five-stars are just like, oh, yeah, I'll go play for Kelvin Sampson. <laughs> that would strike me as right, a pretty right. intimidating, pretty, pretty defensive-focused mindset. Was that always there with Jairus? I think we expected uh, our, our head coach who coaches our national team, Sean Ackland, does a really, really good job defensively. So I feel like our kids get a, a really good base um, in, in regards to you know coverages and understanding you know how, how to take people out of things. So and then an expectation to to play play defense at a high level because if you don't, you're probably not going to play as much as you want to play. And then, uh, you know, as you said, I, so I think he had a good base going in and then going to play for Coach Sampson, who's, you know, old school and tough and, and demanding. Um, you know, we've heard some things about, you know, the practices that they have. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think to your point, Jarris has a mindset of, you know, he's not a, not a prima donna and he's got to get all of his shots and he's just a team player and he wants to win. So, um, you know, de- defense and rebounding are usually the things that, um, if you do well as a freshman in college, you, you get more minutes. So uh, I think that's definitely in his DNA. Brian Nash is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He is the basketball director for the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, where Jarris Walker played. Brian, I was talking about this earlier, and I wanted you to, to well, certainly correct me if I'm wrong on it, and if it's accurate, you kind of add to it. One of the things I think that is advantageous about Walker's situation as he comes to the Pacers, you know we know they have Tyrese Halliburton. We know they have Benedict Matherin. The the offense is not going to flow through Walker. He is going to be asked to be a a piece that does other things. 
and many players in the NBA come into the NBA, they were the best player in the history of their high school. They were the, the leading scorer in the history of their middle school, high school, freshman year college, et cetera, et cetera. He strikes me as a guy that has the mentality of, I'm going to do the other things necessary to help my team win because he played for the better part of his high school career with guys that were the straw mixing the drink, and he was not. A, is that a fair assessment? And B, did you have to? does a player have to learn that, or did he naturally have that kind of a mentality? Yeah, 100%. I, I think that's a great way to categorize him. Uh, so, but like I said, freshman year, he came in and, and really earned minutes with three other guys that were really successful college players, NBA guys, because of his hard work and, and just doing what coach wanted. You know, as players progress, his sophomore and junior year, like anybody, you know, he played a lot inside his freshman year and, um, you know, you want to develop your game. You want to work on your perimeter handling. You want to work on your perimeter shooting. And, you know, he struggled a little bit in his sophomore and junior years because, you know, you, you want to transition to a guard and that's not necessarily what you are. And sometimes I think you need to go through that process and struggle a little bit to find out who you are and like what the best version of yourself is. And I think that, sophomore junior year helped Jarris realize a little bit that come senior year um, to your point he he had to play the five primarily for us and I don't think that was something that he definitely wanted to do but guess what that was where he was going to be the most successful for our team to win it's what coach needed him it's the position coach needed him to play so I think you hit it on the head I mean he's just a selfless person and the ego that you see in a lot of these younger players that are highly successful at a young age I mean he's just a special special person and has special character what is an area of his game that he because I think of him as like bulldog defender you know can hit the boards obviously give me an area of Jarris Walker's game where he has not been given enough credit that could perhaps even further blossom at the NBA level yeah, I think he can, you know, I know you said earlier that, you know, people aren't going to play through him. Like, I mean, I, I think you can play through him because he, you know, he, he can he can put the ball on the floor and he can make plays. I mean, he's a, he's a really good straight line driver. He's got good speed. He, he knows angles, how to get to the rim. Um, he's a good passer uh, when he's making plays off the dribble. And then, you know, he's improved his shooting a lot. I mean, if you look at his form and how it's, how it's changed over the course of you know the last two years, and he's put a lot of time into it. And you know he's he's a you know, in the NBA you have to be a serviceable shooter in order to play to get on the floor the way the game is right now. So um, I definitely think that you know consistency in his perimeter shooting has gotten a lot better. Again, Brian Nash is with us. He is the director of basketball down at IMG. Brian, I've played the golf course down there. You guys got a nice golf course at the IMG Academy. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few good ones down here. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, a few out of my price range. IMG was actually decently affordable for my brother and I. Um, I did want to get to Zach Eady, if you don't mind, in just a second, but one more on the Jairus Walker front. Uh, Personality-wise, I know you hit on this a little bit earlier. Um, youngest of three sisters. You talked about his parents. Again, you guys I just don't think that are going to be top ten picks willingly sign up and play for, for, for Kelvin Sampson like that. How would you describe Walker off the floor? Carlisle told a great story on Friday about how – after the press conference, before 
um, Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard flew back to their respective cities. Jairus asked Rick, "Hey, you care if I get a workout in before uh, you know before we hit the plane? Um, how would you describe Jairus Walker from a personality standpoint?" Yeah, he's uh, he's a soft-spoken young man. Uh, you know, again, I think, and that's the respectful piece of how he was raised. But he's also, I mean, he, he was kind of a team comedian. He he was that guy that. Uh, you know, you, you didn't you wouldn't expect it from him, but as you know, as he got more comfortable in the program and he got more comfortable around people, he's got a you know he's got a very he's got a joking side to him too that I think uh, you know people really don't understand. But uh, again, overall, just uh, you know, just a, a high quality person, and I mean, he, he's the first four year player that we said we had here. So you know, the just the, the the amount of time that we were able to spend around him and to see his growth was it's just it's just really rewarding. And I hope I'm not catching you too off guard with this, but obviously in this market, Zach Eady, uh, pretty big name, and I know he won't be in the draft until next year. Didn't spend as much time down at IMG as Jairus Walker, but uh, what can you tell us about what led Zach, what led Zach to IMG? And obviously, uh, pretty remarkable growth into being one of the more dominant players college basketball has seen in quite some time. Yeah, his his story is incredible. I mean, I don't think anybody could have ever predicted the 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 way it escalated and elevated. Um, you know, Zach Zach had uh, I had coached in college for twenty five years before I got here, and one of my former players was an AAU coach up in Canada, and he was actually coaching Zach and said, "Hey, I got this big kid. I, you know, I'd love for you to take a look at him." and Zach ended up coming down to campus for Under Armour had uh, like, like an elite. So some of their better players on their grassroots circuit came down IMG for a, for a long weekend. They wanted to kind of take care of them and put them in a in a good environment against the other competitive players. And Zach came down, and you know we we, we just we had a vision. We, we said, hey, I mean this kid is huge. He's got good hands. He's got good feet, and um, let let let's take a shot on him. And you know came down for his junior year first. He didn't play on our national team because um, we wanted to get him more reps and we wanted to get him playing time to develop. And then, you know, senior year played on our national team and, you know, had a, had, had a really good year. But, like, again, I don't think anybody could predict, you know, the, the trajectory of where he's gone now. Last question for me, Brian. Brian Nash is our guest. He is the basketball director at IMG Academy. IMG is one of those, Brian, you know, I'm 50, and I remember, I guess I won't say the names of them because I don't want to, like, mention competitors, I guess, but, you know, when I was a kid in high school, there were a couple of basketball academies that occasionally, not occasionally, but each year there'd be one or two, like, five-star type players that were coming out of uh, areas like in the Virginia area. IMG in the last probably decade, I think, has become ubiquitous amongst conversation in football and basketball recruits. Can you tell me a little bit about IMG itself? Because for whatever reason, I was under the assumption that it was just like a almost like a workout facility. But this is an actual prep school for for regular students and student athletes, or is it a sports based prep school? It's a it's a sport based boarding school. We'll we'll have about fifteen hundred students this year in nine sports. Where we're just adding volleyball for the fall, um, and every one of our every one of our students here plays a sport. We, we don't have any students or just regular students. So it's really a, it's really a unique environment. Um, you have a culture here where everybody is driven. Everybody is on the same path. I mean, it's uh, it, it's, it's a developmental Academy where we're, we're getting kids better. What we're, it's a holistic approach as well too, because we deal with 
leadership, mental conditioning, the nutrition side, the sports science side. Um, I mean, we know everybody comes here because they love their they love their sport, but you know the the, the additional on top things that we provide for the kids are you know you just really can't get those anywhere else. Well, can a student go there? For example, a basketball player. Can, can you go to IMG Academy to take the basketball uh, approach to it and yet still not be on the team that is representing IMG? Does that make sense what I'm asking? So we'll have to give you scope. Well, we had 18 basketball teams this past year. We start at middle school and we go all the way up to postgrad, and we have multiple teams gotcha. at each age level, each age level for for developmental purposes. Um, you know, our our most competitive players are on our national teams, which put them in an environment to play against the the, the most competitive players and the most competitive schedule. And then we also have you know some players who are a little later evolving, and you know they need a little bit more development. So the the, the model that we have across the board at the academy is pretty you know it, it's pretty unique from that standpoint because everybody makes a team and everybody's able to to get put in the right position for their development and hey, you guys had jet howard get drafted as well brian wasn't there somebody else yeah we had uh, we had three in the top 16 this year with uh jarris keontae george and jet howard so uh, it, it was uh, it, it was a good it was a great year for for the ascenders Quite quite impressive. It's a beautiful campus. Again, I've been down there. The golf course is right there as well. It's a great area, and obviously the product and the results speak for itself. Three in the top 16 is darn impressive. Brian, um, enjoy the rest of your summer. Appreciate you hopping on with us, giving a little bit of insight into uh, into Jarris Walker. Thank you. No, thanks. you got a great one, and next time you're down here, please, uh, please give me a call. Stop by. Will do. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thanks, guys. IMG Director of Basketball, Brian Nash, right there. Uh, And Mark, you said 9.30 tomorrow we will have Kellen Sampson on. That is not Kelvin. That would be his son, Kellen Sampson, Houston assistant. That is correct? Assistant coach and the position coach for uh, Jairus Walker. So, yeah, we'll have him on tomorrow at 9.30. You know, a little bit more into Jairus Walker. I think you raise an interesting point, Kevin. To go, Kelvin Sampson, I mean, say what you want about, I thought he was super arrogant when he came to Indiana. Um, I think most people in Bloomington thought he was super arrogant. And, you know, we know what happened in terms of his time at Indiana. But he can flat out coach. And one of the things about him is I think he's demanding as hell. Like, I think if you go, if I think you make a really interesting point about Jairus Walker. If you sign up to go play, for you know, when, when Samson was at Oklahoma, he had a lot of players at Oklahoma that were there because, and for that matter, in, in his at the beginning in Indiana, he had a lot of players that were there because it was last resort. You right? I mean, it was like they they'd been in trouble elsewhere. Or they they they'd gotten a foul of things, and that was their opportunity. Kelvin Sampson offered it to them, and he he got guys to play hard, no question about it. So for a guy that is a blue chip, like five star level player who's been on the national radar for a while, to go to Houston to play for Kelvin Sampson, that basically says like that guy is saying because because you know Jarris Walker could have gone anywhere. He he hadn't he there was nothing he was involved in to my knowledge that limited his options, and yet that's where he picked. To me, that's pretty encouraging. And and that's yeah, and you can say something you know what I mean like I, I'll tip my cap to that. 
Yeah, it, it strikes me of this is a guy that just doesn't play defense because he's incredibly athletic and, and, and just whatever. He's faster and quicker and can jump higher than everybody. Like He has a mindset that he wants to be on that end of the floor and wants to play at a really high level there. Um, you know, Something I found interesting, Jairus Walker, when he met the media following his draft workout with the Pacers, is that he compared himself, and at first I was kind of like, wait, what? Like that, 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 Those comps don't make any sense. But then as he explained it, it started to resonate a little bit more. He compared himself in the NBA to Lou Dort, and I know you got to be a pretty diehard NBA fan to have watched the Thunder and Lou Dort, who's a really nice young player. But the other name he mentioned was Drew Holiday. And again, from a body standpoint, Jairus Walker is 6'7 and 240 pounds. Drew Holiday, of course, is not that. But what Walker was getting at is he's got a really, really long wingspan. It's a 7'2 wingspan. But more than anything, I think he prides himself on defensive versatility. And for anybody that's watched Drew Holiday, there will be nights where he is going to guard your 6-foot speed demon. And then if he needs to match up on your 6'6", 6'7", wing, he can do that as well. And I think that's where Walker feels like he can impact of it's not just insane athletic ability on that end of the floor it's a basketball iq it's a versatility it's on the ball it's off the ball he really is adamant that he checks all of those uh boxes so again thank you to brian nash that is the img basketball director um for hopping on left, Kellen Sampson join us tomorrow about this time. Uh, Houston assistant. One also draft note, Jake, um, from the Pacers four picks from over the weekend, and I think we'll also have Tony East on tomorrow. He can clarify this. So the Pacers made four picks. Obviously Walker, Ben Shepard, the shooter from Belmont. Then in the second round they took Mojave King, and Jake already made three desert jokes on Friday, so we don't need to go back to either any of those. And then Isaiah Wong out of Miami, who had 27 against Indiana in the tournament. It's I believe it was reported over the weekend that Mojave King is the old draft and stash. So he is not going to be on a two-way contract playing for the Mad Ants and potentially the Pacers this year. Mojave King played in New Zealand and then most recently with the G League Ignite. It sounds like he is going to go the international route. And if and when we ever see him, the Pacers will have his rights. But the plan will be that he gets his professional career started um, overseas. Um, So we'll see how the rest of those two-way contracts play out for the Pacers. Who is the last... Like sign and stash guy that the Pacers did, that they then later brought back, and he turned into be like a contributor. Has there ever been oh, one? A, I, I mean, I realize. I okay, say, I'm still waiting for Stanko Barak to make his debut. That, like Antonio Davis was one that they sent to Europe, but but you know it's different because he was a college player, right? Um, I think. Did you just what, mention what about the kid from Michigan State, uh, Lorbeck? Do you remember him way back in the day? Yeah, like that's okay. I'm looking here. Okay, here's one from Slovenia. Davis Bertans. Did did he? Oh, uh, he's a great player in the NBA right he, now. He is, or not a not a not not a great player, but a but a nice player. He he's a three point shooter, right? Wasn't he in Washington for a, while, a long time? Yeah, and that was that the Kawhi trade, right? I, I don't know if he ever was like officially a Pacer. I feel like that was part of the George Hill trade. I, I think that's right. Um, but yeah, he's become actually a, a pretty good player for the Wizards, uh, or at least the last that I knew of. That's where he was. Now let me look. Who was the one that you just mentioned? Well, Lorbeck, um, Isram 
I am probably butchering his first name. Played at Michigan State. Was actually a pretty good college player. But Stanko Barak's the one that I always think of. The other one, and this might be a first-round pick, Jake, but I remember he was big with the Bobcats when they had that franchise. Uh, was Primoz Brezik a – did he ever go internationally? Yes. He, he was they, – they took him out of Slovenia. But I, but I think he was – I think Primoz Brezic, when they drafted him in 2000, began with the Pacers, right? Okay, so he didn't initially start overseas and then and then come back over. Let me see if that's right. Um, he began in '01 with the Pacers, so he might have had one year. Um, Looks like he played in Slovakia for a year. Okay, Lorbeck was 2005. Uh, you'd mentioned Michigan State. He never played in the. He's last. He was last playing in. Uh, let's see, played in Russia and Spain. So, hmm. like you know, they're just. A lot of times you, you hear Zahn these guys. Tabak. Oh, I was a big fan of Jean Tabak, baby. Now, he was a free agent, right? I don't think they drafted him. But I was a fan of Jean Tabak. They, I mean, okay, how about this one? Was it last year or two years ago? The kid from Greece. Uh, Georgios Kalistakis. He was with the Oak City Thunder last year. That must have been another one that was part of a, a, a trade that, I mean. You just made up those syllables, and <laughs> you, you, you just threw in a bunch of exactly random letters together there exactly to end things. Uh, pop quiz uh, coming got, up, by the way. We're not going to ask about that. Sorry about that, Kevin. But we will do a morning no. check down first. Uh, we'll begin with the College World Series. Kevin, you were captivated by it because there was a home run every 30 seconds, right? Well, I thought the Saturday night game was terrific. Uh, went into extras. LSU won in the 11th. LSU has some dudes that look like they just hit home runs and drink beer. <laughs> That's, They've just got mashers on been, their team. Have you Tom, been to Louisiana? Well, yeah, certainly a lot of Bourbon Street for those guys there. Uh, but yesterday, the team hitting the home runs was Florida. Uh, after losing game one, their season uh, had to win to extend their season to tonight, a game three, a winner take all. They scored 24 runs yesterday, 24-4. to four. They beat LSU, which again sets up tonight's winner take all, 8 o'clock from Omaha. This is exactly what the NCAA wants. This is exactly what ESPN wants, a random Monday in late June. And let's get a game three of a best of three series between LSU and Florida. I would assume the ratings would be pretty good for this one. Florida going for national title number two. LSU going for national title number seven. Uh, again, winner take all tonight. By the way, do you know what? Uh, do you know why Baton Rouge is named Baton Rouge, Mark? Why? Well, first off, what do we do on this program? Mark? We educate and entertain. Thank you. Kevin, do you have a guess? Baton Rouge, how it got its name? I was. What was that sound, Mark? Was that Brian Kelly yelling oh, at his dog? No, Jake said, "Have you ever been to Louisiana?" And I thought of Farmer Fran from the Water Boy. <laughs> oh no! Um, some sort of French thing, Jake. I have no idea. Louisiana Purchase thing. I don't know. That's those are both excellent guesses. That's and like the Magna Carta on Jeopardy. Partially just say, correct. Just say Louisiana Purchase for when the French related. explorers first came into the area, now known as Baton Rouge, the sun was setting on the marsh, and so they said it looked like an area of red sticks, which in French is Baton Rouge. See, mm. what what do we do on this program, Mark? We educate and entertain. Thank you, thank you. From Southern Indiana pronounced that Baton Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> Baton, Baton Rogue. That's Farmer Fran, coaching the offense. 
Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday. Cardinals over the Cubs 7-5. It was the Braves over the Reds 7-6. The Diamondbacks 5-2 over the Giants. Cute fella 3-2 over the Mariners. The Oakland Athletics, rough one. 12-1. Toronto beat them. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee over Cleveland 5-4. And the Columbus Clippers 7-6 winners over the Indianapolis Indians. We've, lo- uh, we've won one game in our last 10. My A's. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, back, didn't they win like eight in a row? Back to reality. Is, no, they isn't that a big song, Back to Reality? They won like two in a row. No, the A's. What was Stop, their win streak? Mark. They won at least seven in a row. Mark, yeah. do not disparage my A's. <laughs> it seems so long that, ago now. That's blasphemy. Look up their record. They beat quality teams in that stretch. Just about getting back to that moment. By the way, Kevin, so the, a little peek behind the curtain for people. So Kevin is in Michigan right now uh, doing the show remote. But because we are dedicated to to being as close to, you know, perfect as possible, we have a a Microsoft Teams set up where I can see you on my laptop. Did you change clothing? Yeah, I did. Um, When we did the Chad Buchanan uh, video, I decided to put on a shirt I didn't wear yesterday. Did you shower? No. Just no, no, no. Shower. I think I'll just jump in the lake, and that'll qualify as my shower for the day. <laughs> the lack Spider of showers right? that Kevin's takes takes is alarming to me. <laughs> What's that? I, I try to kind of half-ass my way through a workout post-show okay. with you guys. Should, you think I, You think in, in the break here I should just top on one of these machines in here? I mean, I mean you really you are in a weight room. Look at this. So again, Max slept right there. There's Max's pack and play. Sound machine is cranked up. We are next door, so our room is literally next door. So we've got the monitor set up. He cried at one. That was it. Uh, he was chirping about six forty. I came in here, gave him a bottle as I set up the show, and mm-hmm. passed him off to Maddie at six fifty. And here we are. He's crying because you interrupted his deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin's uh, Kevin's at a complex with a family reunion, and he is actually sitting right now in the workout facility of said complex. Uh, NASCAR yesterday in Nashville. Ross Chastain, the winner, Martin Truex Jr., and Denny Hamlin rounding out the top three. It was Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson around the top five. Give me number one through 36, Mark Dykton. Seven. Number seven, you've won a lifetime supply thanks to Christopher Bell, his sponsor of DeWalt Tools. Okay. There you go. I'll take some tools. Uh, Kevin? Jake, I know you didn't get invited to your family reunion, so maybe I already know the answer to this. Would you enjoy a family reunion with 41 people? My dad's side of the family, I have 26 cousins. Um, my mom's side, there's only do like Do you do six like a people. family reunion uh, 19, at all? 1978 was the last family reunion for my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary in Florida. And my Aunt Phyllis, mm-hmm. there were it was outdoors at a park in Florida, and there were geese that were being kind of pests and my aunt phyllis tried to chase them off by throwing bread at them oh did not work well <laughs> only enticed them to stick around <laughs> that's right uh give I, me number I one through really 36 you would, i was really hoping you said aunt phyllis got out her bb gun and tried to chase them <laughs> off uh let's go with number 13 that's our room number here uh number 13 compound. austin Dillon. you have won a lifetime supply of hulk performance fishing gear perfect for your oh, weekend oh, hanging out at spider perfect. lake and then lastly now uh, we got Mark, now we got dinner on Wednesday. Uh, number right. for you, 33. Number 33 for me. Uh, that would be Brennan Poole. I've won a lifetime supply of Mac door systems. All right. What the hell will do with that? Uh, Scotty Johnson's walked in. That means the pop quiz is next. Give us a call at 239-1070. See if you can go five for five for your chance at a Jiffy Lube oil change. It is Kevin and Query here on a Monday morning, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 
sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Kevin, have you had a chance to look over the Pop Quiz? Yeah, and it's a reminder why we were the substitute teachers last week and now the professor of (laughs) 60 degrees and 60 years is back in the saddle and Scotty. That is correct. It is, uh, although I think it's pretty manageable. It does Lots have of baseball today. I will. I will say this for question three. Think Rex Specs. That's all I'm going to say. Think oh, Rex Specs. His his daughter, by the way, um, does a really nice job on the Reds broadcast. Is that that's all? That's the total commentary on her. Well, I mean, yeah, but yeah. Nice looking individual as well. I guess I'll throw that in. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, give me a number one through what, eight? I mean, it's a better compliment than Mark saying that Jairus Walker's sisters looked passable, I believe, was oh, the I did, exact I seen them. Me, I was term that he used. I was going on a guess that they're, they're probably attractive. Passable was what you used. Properly <laughs> attractive sounds a little different than passable yeah. here, Mark. Uh, number one through. One through eight, well, I I guess let's just go with Walker, right? Technically pick number eight. Okay. All right, Randy. But then again, he's jersey number one, right? Yeah, I know. Confusing people. What's up, Randy? Hello, how are you doing? Randy, it's you, been a while. Do you have the, the phone, and, I, and this is a positive, not a negative. Do you have 239-1070 on like a speed dial? Uh, no, I don't. I just... Uh, I know when to call, and uh, I do it quickly. <laughs> now, Randy, I, I, and I realize you've called the program many times, but although I don't know that I've, I've gotten a chance to get to know you um, in, in terms of get to know your listener, maybe I've asked you this before. Um, are you retired, Randy? Are you a working fella? I am uh, working, but uh, I am on vacation this week. Oh, a staycation, oh. or did you go out of town? No, staycation. Well, and what's planned during the staycation? Uh, not really sure. Just playing it day by day. Okay. And and what line of work are you in, Randy? Uh, medical equipment. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, Randy, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Oh, since Kevin's also on vacation, we'll, we'll go with Kevin. All right. How about that? Randy, I've always been curious. You seem like a nice fellow. Who's the athlete you hate the most? Wow. That's a good question. Think about it, Randy, and we'll double back after question five, okay? Well, I was going to say, back uh, during the uh, Pacers-Knicks rivalry, uh, John Starks was always one. Yeah, mm-hmm. there we go. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a really good one. That's an OG All right, Randy, answer. number number one here, Florida pummeled LSU 24-4 in game two of the College World Series yesterday to force a decisive game three tonight. Which record did the Gators set with yesterday's offensive explosion? A, the most runs in a College World Series game. B, the largest win margin in a College World Series finals game. Or C, the most home runs in a College World Series finals game. Or D, all the above. How about all the above? Look at that. Randy's a smart dude. All right, Randy, question number two. Which of the following teams that I'm about to list does not currently lead its division in Major League Baseball? The Red Legs of Cincinnati, the Houston Astros, the Arizona Diamondbacks, or the Minnesota Twins? We will go with uh, Minnesota. 
Okay. All right, number three here, Randy, Reds rookie infielder Matt McClain. How about yesterday, Jake? The Reds had a rookie in the two, three, and four spot of their lineup. That's and they're leading their division. Like that's something that the, the A's do in September when they're seventy games out of it. Get on down Not to Great American Ballpark right now, now to see the future New York Yankees. Uh, Reds rookie infielder Matt McClain had a homer and three doubles in the Reds' loss to Atlanta yesterday. McClain is just the second rookie in Reds fans franchise history to have four extra base hits in a game. Who was the other? Said A. Chris Sabo, B. Frank Robinson, C. J. Bruce, or D. Johnny Bench. We'll go with Sabo. All right. Question number four. Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers collected career hit number two thousand last night. In his loss, team's loss to the Astros, Freeman is the sixth active player with 2,000 or more hits in his career, with Miguel Cabrera, the only active player with 3,000 hits. Which of the following players that I'm about to name does not have 2,000 or more career hits? Nelson Cruz, Andrew McCutcheon, Elvis Andrus, or Jose Altuve? How about Elvis Andrus? Okay. All right, and number five here, Randy. 20 years ago today, LeBron was selected number one overall by the Cavs in the NBA draft. Who went second in that 2003 NBA draft? Talk about a draft and stash. Uh, A, Carmelo, B, Dwayne Wade, C, Darko, or D, Chris Bosh? How about Darko? Nice. When I was in high school, the Warren Central golf coach was named Al Darko. Great dude, but every time I saw him, I thought thought of Darko Milicic. Just out of curiosity, when he got up on the tee, did he swing and miss? Because that's exactly what happened. Oh, boy. Detroit, the Oh, jeez. And he was thought to be like, you know, he was going to be the next. Lefty, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he was terrible. Like, how, how do you miss that badly? All right, here we go. Um. Pretty solid performance by Randy. He was correct with question number one. All that of the above. Is correct. Question he got two. Got Sabo right. Uh, he did get Sabo right. Loud and proud. Uh, he went with Elvis Andrus. The correct answer was Jose Altuve for number four. And the Houston Astros, by the way, five and a half games behind Texas. Randy went with the Minnesota Twins. The Astros was correct there. Darko Milicic was you correct. You blew it. Randy, thank you. Enjoy your staycation. Uh, when we come back, it's an anniversary of sorts in Indianapolis, historically speaking. I'll let you know what happened in this fair city that was of national fame, although it wasn't until later that we realized the significance of it. I'll explain when we come back. It's Kevin Inquiry. 90- Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 351075 The Fan. Kevin, from where you sit here in the studio, oftentimes we gauge the weather based on your ability to see one of two residential buildings in downtown Indianapolis, and those buildings would be. Uh, Riley Towers, for certain. That's um, I guess I guess there's two of them, right? 
Uh, correct. The two Riley Towers are, are usually the barometer that we use. If you can see them from your locale, that means that it is clear outside. But, of course, there is another residential building in downtown Indianapolis that went up, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. I call it the Flash Cube. Uh, you two would probably be too young to remember that, but back in the day, you would buy literally a flash cube for your camera that would go on to the top of it. And one of the buildings downtown, uh, I, it's condos or apartments, is in the location that was formerly, of course, Market Square Arena. Now, Kevin, did you go to Market Square when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a big fan of Market Square Arena, just nostalgically speaking. There's no way today that Market Square Arena probably could you could use it because the fact that you could drive underneath an arena while it had 17,000 people in it is, unfortunately, in today's post-Oklahoma City 9-11 world, unthinkable. But on this date, June 26th of 1977, probably in retrospect, what turned out to be the most famous moment in the history of that building, and of course, Market Square Arena was leveled in i believe it was 2000 but the most famous moment or the most iconic moment in the history of that building and at the time i don't know that people realized what they were witnessing but we can now look back and say um it was a 46 year anniversary of this moment here go ahead and hit it mark That's how it sounded on June 26th of 1977 when Elvis Presley played at Market Square Arena. He was scheduled to go to, Scotty Johnston is here in the studio, so I will ask Scotty in his own pop quiz. Scotty, Elvis's next concert was scheduled to be where? Scotty is thinking. Kevin, do you have a guess? Uh, his next concert was supposed to be in St. Louis. Mark Dykton, do you have a guess? I'll say Detroit, Michigan. Uh, both of you are close. Not correct. He was scheduled to go to Milwaukee from here, and did not. And he, he I hate to say it, he did not look good. And if you watch that 1977 concert, um, he didn't sound good. I mean, his voice was good, but he at times was. You could tell he was under the influence of something. I'll say that. And so Elvis Presley uh, canceled. On his way to Milwaukee, they canceled it. He went back to Memphis, and it was some, I think, six weeks later when he passed away. I don't know that he really made any public appearances between his last concert and when he passed at Graceland. Um, I think I've, I've mentioned before, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, something like that, maybe 10 years ago, I was driving back from Mississippi, and I stopped in Tupelo, Mississippi. I went to the birthplace of Elvis Presley. I'm not a huge Elvis fan, but I'm like, oh, you know, there's Tupelo. So went and saw where he was born and then thought, you know what? I'm going to go out of my way on my way home and go through Memphis. And I'm going to see where Elvis, I saw where he was born. I might as well see where he lived, even though obviously it's where he passed as well. But so I drove from Tupelo to Graceland, which is like two hours. 
And at that time, there was an Elvis channel. I don't know if there still is on, on satellite radio. So I turned over to it, and I kid you not, the second that like I got on the, the highway, they were like, now, let's take you back to June 26, 1977, the final concert of Elvis Presley. And I'm like, holy cow. So I, I made the drive while listening to his concert in Indianapolis. And again, I'm not some big Elvis fan. I know he had a great voice. I know he was a great singer and entertainer. I know there was a lot of great things about him. Uh, he sounded terrible in that concert. You could tell that uh, that was the beginning of the end. But anyway, did you ever find the ago. woman? Did Did you ever find the woman you tweeted about last week? Or no, was it last week? Now, or a couple you, weeks ago. Do you think that was like that stuff fascinates me, Kevin? The in that concert, and obviously right there in terms of like he didn't just like get off the stage and then leave the building. That Mark had edited a couple of minutes out of the middle of that. But when Elvis Presley got done with the concert, he took his scarf off somebody told me that that the scarf that like their uncle has the scarf that he had and i'm like man that thing's got to be i can't imagine what the value of that would be if it was verified to be the scarf that elvis was wearing but as he was leaving the stage in market square arena he, he bent down and shook hands with like two people just you know and one of them was a younger woman she looked like she was probably 25 and he he reached down and kind of like shook her hand and like you know patted her on the shoulder and then immediately st- left the stage and went right to a car it looked like a ford ltd and was gone and was out and i'm like oh my gosh like that woman this is the the weird way my brain works kevin i watched it and i thought to myself that that for all intent and purposes is the last like stranger in a public encounter to ever like shake hands with elvis presley ever and she probably lives in Indy, right? I mean, she would be, if she was 25 and that, she'd be in her early 70s now. Like, I wonder who that woman was. And I tweeted it out. Several people responded, but nobody said they knew, they didn't know exactly who it was. But, um, but you know, the, the, the mystique about him and, and the aura of him, I have always thought it was kind of a neat trivia question, morbid as it may be, to say that his last concert was at Market Square. There used yeah. to be a plaque down there. I think they moved it, didn't they? The Foods, yeah. Is it inside the Whole Foods? Because the last time I, I they had it right there where the Whole Foods was, and I think to be honest with you, Scotty, I think they might have taken it down, or somebody might have taken it. Because I went aisle for four now. <laughs> <laughs> we got to clean up next to the Elvis plaque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh huh. Yep, that's right. So someone just dropped a jar of pickles, and it's they, not on the ground. Actually, it there. should be near the bacon. That would be that would be the most. There fitting, you go. Right? If it was near the. Uh, oh mercy! <laughs> That's nice right. job, Mark Dyson, on that one. Uh, something I'm looking forward to reading today, and anytime this guy writes anything, I'm always looking forward to reading it. But especially now with his new gig, um, I believe this is his first thing he's published in the new role. You see Zach Kiefer's first stories out from a national standpoint. I did not see that. What's it? Um, who is he writing about? So it is a long-form piece here, if I have this correct, on Adam Pac-Man Jones. Remember Pac-Man, the corner for the Bengals? Yeah. And he is raising, and I did not know this, do you remember former West Virginia Cincinnati Bengal wideout Chris Henry, Jake? Yes, he was the one that, didn't he die on the back of a pickup truck? Am I wrong in that? Correct. Um, some sort of dispute with his fiance, if I'm not mistaken, at the time, and yes, died getting dragged. Um, uh, yeah, on that vehicle, uh, he Adam Pacman Jones is raising Chris Henry Jr. 
Really? And that is the long-form feature. And again, the, the story itself obviously has a lot of tragedy involved in it. Um, Zach Kiefer, I, I know, will do an incredible job at bringing this to light. Um, Chris Henry Jr. is a 6'5 wide receiver in the Cincinnati area. Um, he is a very highly ranked recruit. Again, 2026, we're still far away out on it, but uh, by all accounts, it's going to be a pretty good football player. So quite the story there from Zach Kiefer. Uh, and again, this will be Zach at his best when it's a long-form piece that he can spend a lot of time on. There's no one better. By the way, speaking of raising, I uh, wanted to mention one more time, we're raising money. My friend Steve that I met through Wheeler Mission um, my Twitter account, at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. I have the link up to help raise money for um, the services for Steve, who passed away last week. I did get a text here. Jake, I might have known Steve. I was one of the homeless men that hit the streets in February of 2013. Um, I was nonstop on the street until December of 2021, but now I've celebrated one year of marriage, and I have a home, a career, and most importantly, peace. Thank you for your compassion to Steve and for embracing him. Again, my Twitter account, at Jake Query. It is the pinned tweet if you would like to make a donation to help out. Kevin, enjoy the vacation today. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody, to Kevin and Query here on a Monday.